0: Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real-life scenarios with real live people.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's program. Thank you for joining us, the Coach Menachem team, everybody here. Um, Tonight's going to be SHARE 133, and thank you for joining. Uh, I start off every week first thanking all of our listeners every week for promoting it on their statuses and emailing it around to their friends, telling people to come, and we really appreciate it. Uh, again, like I say, every SHARE might not be negative to every single person, but it's definitely negative to a lot of people. If it's not for you, let other people know about it. You don't know who you can help by telling people about it, and uh, we're here to have a to talk about things, and tonight it's a very important topic, and I'm very excited to learn a lot about it, so we're going to get into it. If anybody wants to join the statuses, um, you can WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Again, my number is 848-525-0066, and um, sign you up. And um, every Sunday, you'll get the the, the the flyers. You can go to menachembarafel.com, his website, and you can sign up for the weekly uh, emails that will give you the flyers for every week, the speakers, any interesting things that are happening, and also all the replays as well. Uh, for all the people that are watching this on YouTube, you can uh, click on the like button, so maybe Menachem can get a lot of likes, we like likes, and you can subscribe to the channel, so every Monday early morning when Me Menachem uploads the Shiram, you can get a ding, you get notified, and you can watch every single week when it comes out, so please uh, join us. Um, I want to first also thank, start to thank all our advertising sponsors promote us over here, firstly here, here and foremost, the Lakewood Scoop, for here in Lakewood for promoting us. The last almost three years, we really appreciate that. A special thank you to Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central for promoting us on that website as well. A special thank you to Chayla Kaufman from JCN for promoting us on all the digital platforms and all the statuses on matzah and all those other things. We really appreciate it. Uh, the Coach Menachem shows collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is the online platform to find mental health support in the Jewish community. On OKClarity.com you'll find the best therapist coaches including Coach Menachem Berenfeld. Um, nutritionists, engage your forms and stay inspired. Menachem will send out all the information as well in the email. So again, anybody's here the first time, we do this every Sunday night at 9.30. This is Zoom ID. Um, we have of our Rabbanim, therapists, and just amazing people that come on. That really, um definitely we've, we've done some uh, big things over the course of the last year. So it's been amazing. Please join us. There's still room to join. We let, we let everybody come in. And uh, next week, February 26th, we have an amazing program with Rabbi Yeshua Sachs. He actually used to live here in Lakewood. It's very nice. He's a young guy. He has a he has a big practice here in Lakewood, and he moved to Eretz Yisrael, and he has a very successful practice in Eretz And I heard from a lot of people that know him; they say he's really unbelievable. It's actually him and his wife. Um, and the topic is going to be emotionally connected parenting, practical parenting tips to help you nurture get a connected and confident, happy child. So. Um, um, I think he's amazing. So uh, hopefully, please join. It should be something very powerful next week. And please join us. Uh, tonight, we have this host in the honor of having Shlem Slatkin, who uh, we're going to get into him soon, but he has a private practice and he does a lot of group marriage therapy retreats around the globe. And he really uh, specializes in Imago, which we'll get into what it is, because I still don't know what it is. And Machem hopefully will be able to help thousands of people at least get the concepts and take it from there. Tonight's share is share 133. And as you know already by now, we have Arnoach Fried with, Ar, with us, and he does our Gematrias, and tonight I think he has a very good Gematria. So Noyak, what does 133 have to do with Imago the therapy? Here,
2: number 133, which we're going to be discussing, finally fix your relationship problems and save your marriage. The Gematria says, I Teichet somebody who loves his wife like himself and honors him more than himself the gemara continues on several other things but the gemara says mm-hmm. you will know that you'll have peace in your in your tent in your house you'll be shalom mm-hmm. bayis as we know the mishnah mishnah mesh mishnah, mishnah says who's one who's considered somebody who's honored who's a person Somebody who honors somebody else. And how do we know this? Because it says in the passage, ki And as the Rav nur explains, it means if somebody is the if somebody gives honor to Hashem, Hashem gives honor to him also. So for sure, if somebody honors somebody else, and definitely if somebody honors his wife, he will expect to get honor back. That's why I think it's very appropriate that ki mechabdei is Gematria 133, we should all be to have shalom to its utmost. Amen. Beautiful,
1: beautiful, 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 We're going to start off first with the opening from Coach Menachem Merfel to tell us why we all are gathered here tonight. Thank, Thank you very much.
0: So first of all, noyah, beautiful, bark. Thank you for that. And welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone, to Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem, another Sheer, another episode, Baruch Hashem. We're up to 133 with a lot of siyata deshmeyah, And Hashem should help us, we should be able to continue, mitzvah Shem. Tonight's topic, to fix your relationship problems, basically we're going to be discussing imago therapy, like we heard from Rabasha, that we're all very excited to learn what it is and how it works. And the truth is, it's not only in marriage, I believe it's in relationships. So You don't always have to get along with people You know, in shul or on the street, you can say hi, and then you go home. But pretty much, when it comes to a marriage, or if you, let's say, a shutfas, two people work together, you can't just decide to do two separate things. You're working together. You have to work it out. You have to understand each other. Because if not, then you have two companies. It's not going to work. So that's when you really have to understand the relationship to understand what the other person needs Um, I met many people, and when they heard the word imago, they, they tell me right away, oh, that's the open communication to mirror back and forth. And it's true, yes, this is something that they use to mirror what the other person said, to understand what the other person said. But I believe, and I'm sure we'll hear tonight, that it's not only that. It goes much deeper. So people... People think to understand the other person. So you have to um, mirror what they said so that you get to understand them and make sure you understand them. And it's interesting because most of the time you say, is that what you meant? And they say, no. <laughs> okay, so what did you mean? So just, just with that, you can realize having a, a dialogue back and forth without understanding each other, you're on a, two, you're on a different page. But the deeper part, I think, is you really get to understand not only the spouse, the other, you get to understand yourself. And I think we'll hear a little bit uh, about that. But talk about most relationships, most marriages start off in a beautiful Bar Hashem to get married, and it looks beautiful, it looks great. You now, I'm sure there are some that maybe weren't, but most. It looks perfect. It looks amazing. And then after maybe for some a day or maybe a week, a month, a year, a few years, try to figure out where did we go wrong? What's going on over here? And if you're going with the same way of thinking, the same way of talking, you're always going to hit the same walls. And it could be you're, you're, you've are you're been doing this for years already. And you don't think anything can help. You've gone to therapy, you've gone to your therapy by yourself, or with marriage therapy, and you don't doesn't seem that it, nothing is working. So here we are. We can give another try. Imago therapy. Hopefully, Emet you get to learn something different. It doesn't mean that therapy, you know, other therapies don't, don't work, but it's a new mahala, a new way to look at it. And that itself can bring a oh, Yeshua. Sure if you hear new things about yourself, about your spouse, about what's going on, automatically you can break patterns. And hopefully that itself is a beginning to change. So Bar we have this fuss to have with us, Rabbi Slatkin, that he sits and does this every day with couples. He's heard many stories, and I'm sure he's heard many people that said, for us, it's not going to work. And slowly but surely, so Hashem, we should have a lot of to the Shemaya, and we should be able to pick up, take those pieces, practical, <laughs> so you implement them. Hashem, uh,
1: beautiful opening. <clears throat> okay, so we're gonna get into it tonight. Again, the, tonight's show is, is titled "Finally, Fix Your Relationship Problems and Saving My Marriage: Imago Therapy: A Fresh New Approach to Marriage Counseling." We're gonna do tonight's show. We're gonna learn at, at Lishmas, my great grandfather, who was a big, big tzaddik, a month of is Thursday, based the basis, which is my birthday as well. And uh, it should be his for neshama, all the hundreds of people met Shem that are here tonight, and the thousands and thousands of people that will listen to this year. And it should be a big chizik for him, for his eyniklach. <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to go, we're going to read, Shlomo, I'm going to read your bio, and then uh, open it up, okay?
3: Okay.
1: Shlomo Slavkin, MS slash is a certified Imago relationship therapist, advanced clinician, certified Imago workshop presenter, and facility associate of the Imago International Training Institute. Together with his wife, Rivka, they founded the Marriage Restoration Project, a global initiative to help couples to, get, to keep together, keep couples together and stay happy. Out of concern of the global breakdown of relationships and families, Rabbi Slavkin has made it his mission to help marriages in two days by way of intensive marriage retreats. He has also created an online marriage school self-guided program as an affordable solution to quality marriage help. Rabbi Slavkin is also the author of several books, which are available on Amazon.com. For more information, go to his work. You can go to his website, the We'll put it on the on the thing on the on the chat soon, and we will uh, email it out so everybody can see his website. I and looked at his website. I saw some of his programs he does. He does these amazing retreats that really help couples. Some are just you know to get better communication. Some couples are really basically at the at the verge of, of divorce as well. And uh, it's a big honor to have him here. Robert Slatkin, please open it up for right, thank team.
3: you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd like to thank you, uh, Usher and Keshmanachem and everyone, for your warm welcome and uh, some of the things that I have a, a, a tall act to follow here. But uh, I'm going to do my best uh, together to be to to really learn about learn about Imago therapy, and hopefully by the end uh, we're going to test you, Usher, and make sure you'll be able to answer the question what it is because.
1: I, I was want to clarify. I don't know what it is. I have no idea. I still don't understand it. If after
3: tonight, I understand it. That means you succeeded. So I'm going to be the, the test puppy. Good. So, you know, it's kind of in line with what, what Coach Menachem was saying. Um, you know, I remember one time I was at a show for Mincha. It's where, It's a show where they have a lot of, they have chasms once in a while and have uh, weddings. And you know, I usually don't daven Mincha there, but I was there one day and davening, and all of a sudden I heard the saxophone playing Ayu And, you know, I imagine that. There was a bedekin going on and the chassan was joy- joyously walking down uh, to, to greet the kala. And a, th- a thought hit me at that moment. I was, And I was thinking, wow, this is such an amazing moment. Such an exciting moment, I remember my own my own wedding. But I also think about, well, what about the couple that I just saw today who is in a really horrible situation. Would they have thought at that moment when they were when they were walking down to the badek when they were walking down to the chuppah, that they would be in my office. I think I'm like a nice guy, but but uh, still, people don't want to be in in the marriage counselor's office. So I thought about that and I was like, "Wow, this is not this is not what we think we're getting into." The dream that we have, and we can all think about it for a moment. And I want anyone to get too depressed here, uh, but think about it. what was that like? What was that like by your by your wedding? What was that like by your chuppah? And the joy that you had. And if you think about where you'd be right now and where you were back then, I mean, would you have ever thought that? Would you have ever dreamt that? So what Imago therapy shares and what we're going to talk about tonight, so what, why the dream becomes a nightmare? Is this just a, you know, a cruel joke? Or is this something that's actually normal, something that's actually to be expected and Besides just understanding that, to give you some a happy ending, how can you create the marriage of your dreams? How can you work through that, the tra- the challenges of the relationship, which are kind of unexpected, and take that to a your relationship to an even higher place than it was initially, an even more meaningful, even deeper place than it was initially. Uh, for me, this is extremely personal because I feel like it's like those commercials, like I'm not just the uh, hair club for men, I'm not just uh, the president, but I'm also a member. I'm not just an Imago therapist, um, but I also went through Imago therapy myself, and that's really how my wife and I got to this. We had kind of a fairy tale you know, courtship, like a, a lot of us did in the beginning. Seems seems things at the relationship it seemed great. You know, people would tell us, you know, you're gonna fight, you're gonna have conflict, and we're like, no, we're different. We know how to. Comm-. I remember during Shabbat blessings, people told us that, like, no, no, no. I'm a good, we're both good communicators. I'm a good listener. It's going to be great. Well, we were in for a rude awakening. We began that fair tale. I'll say it became a nightmare, but <laughs> if it, it, we had a rude awakening, which hit a crescendo a few years into our relationship, into our marriage, once we had our, our first child. At that point, it was like, we need to go to, we need to get help. Or as I usually say with our couples that we have a dragger and a draggy. In this case, I was a dragger. And I kind of dragged my wife to, to Mago therapy. It helped that we both had two separate friends that, that were recommended it to us. So we didn't really know what we were getting into. Um, we we're hoping it would be good. I remember like we met one time with, you know, some guidance counselor at my wife's school. And um, and I remember how uncomfortable that was because, you know, we, my wife used to see, we would go to him uh, a few times. And, you know, we came after I, we got engaged and we talked and, I just felt like uncomfortable. And we felt a little bit of tension afterwards. So, what's it going to be like just going to a marriage counselor? Are they going to make it worse? Are they going to take my side? Are they going to take my wife's side? Uh, We're already in a difficult place. How's it going to help? And what Imago did is thank God it gave us a whole different way of looking at our relationship, a whole different way of understanding why the dream turned into the nightmare. Everything began to make sense. We started seeing all of our conflict in. It was like a picture perfect puzzle. Now, did it resolve all the problems right away? No. It took work, but it gave us the skills to work through the conflict and be able to achieve an even better relationship than we thought of initially. And I remember we had, you know, silly little issues. I remember the time I was newly married and I came home. And, you know, I, I like to um my wife is a professional organizer, she used to be in a previous life before she did this. And I wouldn't say I'm a hoarder, but I'm a sentimentalist and I like to collect things. So if we get like one of these magazines and there's like a nice in there, I wanted to save it. Cause I, you know, I wanted to be a pulpit rabbi. So it's always like saving material. So I had a little, you know, a little stack of magazines and newspapers that I would save. And one day I came home and I noticed that my, <laughs> my magazines and newspapers were missing. Like, what is going on here? Now my wife was, you know, she just was trying to make the house look nice and, wanted things to be neat and orderly but for me it was very difficult or another time I remember when we were looking for our first house and a friend of mine it was an old, older friend of mine he came with me he's kind of like a father figure and we went he came with us to look he knew the neighborhood a little bit so he came with us to look at this house and we were looking at the house and like with we we're, were talking about my friend and I were talking with my wife right there you know well this would be a great place to have like a you know a study and you know your farm and they could put the exercise equipment and and my wife was like, after she's like, "What are you doing? Like, are you moving me into this dump?" Like it was, she didn't really like the house. I'm like, "Oh no, like I didn't. I'm not deciding on moving here, but it just was like, you know, we're just like imagining what it could be." So you know, these are two little things that you know. All of a sudden, we started asking ourselves questions like, "Who is this person that we married?" Like, I thought you were. I thought you were this, and turns out you're know, now you're doing certain things that maybe I'm not so happy with. And you know, I can get into to more. More detail, more examples, but I don't want to bore you with my my own stories. But I think we all can relate, we all can resonate with some of these things that happen in the beginning of the relationship. But sometimes they actually develop into to really big issues and snowball. So we did the work together, and I was getting my degree in counseling psychology at the time. And our therapist said, "You know what, trauma you should really do the training. You'd be a great imago therapist." And I said, "Yeah, this actually works." Like I really a lot of therapy. I was a little skeptical. I was in school. I didn't necessarily believe that it worked, and I saw that this worked. I experienced it myself, and it helped me a lot in my work with couples because I always have the hope for couples because I know that we didn't necessarily have the hope going in, and I found the hope through through this work. So couples are coming in at the at the lowest many times, and they need hope, and that's what a can do. And I haven't showed you exactly how yet, but we'll we'll find out. One of the things I want to kind of a little bit of a disclaimer because I can hear everybody's the question, especially with the you know, a Jewish group here. You, have, you know, ah, what about this situation and that situation? Maybe that doesn't work in this way, that way. So we can go through all the little details, but for the sake of uh, simplicity, we're dealing in general with couples where you have two people that want to make it work it doesn't mean that your situation's good. We're not talking about just simple squabbles. You can have some really serious challenges in the relationship, but both people are committed to the process, both people are open and both people want to make it work. Those are the couples that will be most successful. does it mean that a person who is unwilling won't turn around. Not necessarily. But we're not going to you know I'm not addressing cases of course where there's where a person's life is in danger, God forbid, of physical abuse, things like that. We're not we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about the overall normal fights that people have that can get pretty uh, pretty challenging, uh, but I wanted to think of kind of the run run of the mill couples couples conflict, which unfortunately does wind up resulting in divorce over time if it does not get addressed, if and if the couple doesn't want to work on it. So with that said, I want to show you a little story. So um, Oshii he he mentioned that we do couples workshops, so. We do group workshops. We have one in coming up, actually, in Baltimore, March nineteenth and twentieth. It's so a Sunday, Monday. We're actually the only Imago therapist, in, at least in the the U.S. or North America, that do non-Shabbos workshops. So we have, and we have a group of couples. We have we have people. We have Jewish couples. We have non-Jewish couples we have a mix. But we had a couple come last month to a workshop that we did, and they told me that they were on the verge of divorce. This was it. They had been to three couples therapists. And you know, the wife liked one of them, the husband didn't really like the other one. It just wasn't going anywhere. So they said in the beginning, when we go around and everyone shares, you know, what they're looking to learn, and people are tearing up. And so, you know, this is this is it, this is the end of the road. If if this doesn't work, like I'm done. So it's a lot of pressure on my wife and myself to at the beginning to hear that, but we know and we've seen how this process can really make a transformation. So usually it's very tense in the beginning because people don't, you know, why am I here? Is this really going to work? And by the end, it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. Couples work really hard for two days and we see, they see their relationship in a whole different way. So this cu- this particular couple I was working with after our workshop and they told me, you know, I talked to a few other couples at the workshop and about th- maybe four of the couples were in the same boat as we, they've been to therapy. This was This was it. Like, if this didn't help them, they're done. And Baruch Hashem, what they experienced in that day, those two days, gave them hope, gave them an understanding of what what had happened. They felt that the other therapy that they went to, it didn't really scratch the surface. It really didn't deal with the real issues. Finally, they could see what was really going on. Finally, as the wife said, I felt that you really listened to me. I felt that you really understood me and saw my side. That's a powerful thing. Because you could be going to, th- and it's especially frustrating if you're going to therapy, and you're getting help and you're getting nowhere, and then it just makes you think, well, there must be something really wrong with this relationship if therapy can't help it. And we'll talk about, you know, what's good therapy, what's not good therapy. I'm not here to bash any other types of therapy, and you know, I'm not an expert in any other modality to speak authoritatively, but I can give you, can show you what how Mamago is unique and. And what the ingredients of you know of good therapy in terms of supporting a couple and helping a couple get out of the, the roughest places, but to really feel heard and to really feel finally that you got me after all these attempts, it's refreshing and it is a you know it's it's an amazing experience, and it can take a situation that is you know on the edge of the ver- divorce and really turn it around. So we're looking forward to sharing you a little bit what what this is all about. You know, what, what is it that we actually do with the couple in, in, in the therapy? What is the theory about Imago that really changes the perspective? And I'm excited to hear all of your questions that you have so we can learn together.
1: Beautiful, Shlema. Thank you so much for a nice opening. We're going to get into it. We're going to really try to understand it tonight. So we're going to start our first with a poll so we get the, the feeling from the crowd. Sure. And then we're going to jump into it. Okay, again, Okay. let's start with the poll. Here we go. I'm going to read the questions. Everybody can answer how you feel. Okay, these are just opinions. Remember, from what you know about Imago therapy, what do you think it is? Four options. You choose one of them. A new communication technique. Traditional therapy with more understanding of your spouse. Option three, giving each other space to be an individual. Option four, understand the conflict is the purpose of growth and healing together. Those are the four options for question one. Number Question two, do you believe every couple can work their differences out and stay married? Yes, every couple, everyone can have a healthy marriage with proper drive and guidance, option A. Option B, no, some people are just not meant to be for each other as time goes on. Or option, option three, there's no clear answer depending on each circumstance. Third question, just one of those general questions What I got a feeling, in your opinion, why do you think today the divorce rate is so high? Four options. Number one, people are not committed to working on themselves and their marriage. Option B, disposable society and instant gratification. Everything is disposable. Doesn't work. Next. Option C: people have a lot of emotional issues nowadays. Or option D, affluence causes many of these issues that we're dealing together with that we are dealing with today. Affluence means not only money, it's just like since we have such a luxurious life, we don't have to struggle for food, we have to struggle for things because we have affluence. So that's why we have so many issues. Back in the day when people had to struggle to, to have bread or to survive a war, people were not busy with so much stuff. So, those are the three questions. We'll give you a few seconds to answer, and then we'll share the results with everybody else. So, over Slack, and you can see people answer. We're going to share in a minute, and then we'll, we'll review it together. Okay. Sure. Five, four, three, Okay, ready? We're going to share it now. Okay, from what you know about imago therapy, what do you think it is? So it says over here 41% of people say it's a new communication technique. Only 8% of people say traditional therapy with more understanding of your spouse. Only 9% of people say giving each other space to be an individual. Forty-two percent. So number one and number four is pretty much split. Understanding conflict is the purpose of growth and healing together. Shlomi, want to comment on the on the first question?
3: Yeah. Um, you know, as Koshmanach mentioned, that a lot of people think Imago is communicate a communication technique because one of the hallmarks of a, the main therapeutic intervention is what we call the Imago dialogue, which we'll talk a little bit about later. But that's just—it's not about just communicating. It's about it's about a whole way of being, a whole way of experiencing the other person. Um, I can I'll talk more about that. Um, now, it sounds like people read the book or know a little bit more about it, because you have to be a little bit discerning to know this, understanding that the conflict is for the purpose of growth and healing. Um, because that is one of the things that we say that marriage is for the purpose of growth and healing. Conflict is an opportunity for connection. So instead of viewing, I think the conventional way of looking at things in in therapy is, If there's a problem, well, we can fix it. But if we can't fix it, then it's a reason maybe to call it quits. On the other hand, from Imago, what we're looking at is we want to understand that conflict and see why you have that unique conflict. And once you understand that, then it it changes your whole perspective on the relationship.
1: Okay, let's go to the second question. Do you believe every couple can work out the differences and stay married? Uh, 26% of people say yes, everyone can have a healthy marriage with proper Driving guidance. Seventeen percent of people say no. Some people are just not meant to be for each other as time goes on. And fifty-seven percent of people say there's no clear answer depending on each circumstance. Every what's your uh, what's the mago therapy on on this? What's the mago therapy's um, uh, belief in this question?
3: So I would, um, you know, I would say that can everybody work? I get uh, there's always exceptions to the rule. Um, obviously there's always situations where, but if, if both people are healthy and want to work on things together, then it's, if they're committed to working on it, I believe that they can. Um, ultimately though, sometimes people feel it's too hard and they don't, they don't either don't want to do the work or they don't even know what they need to do to make it work. And that's even more of the, I would say even more of the problem that I think people are, there are people that want the relationship to work, but they don't have the skills to be able to do it. And they're doing kind of the same old activities that are getting them in the same trouble.
1: Okay. And the third, the final question, in your opinion, why do you think the divorce rate is so high? The 52% of people believe because people are not committed on working on themselves and their relationship. And 23% of people believe the disposable society and instant gratification. 19% of people said people have a lot of emotional issues nowadays and only 5% of people think it's affluence causes many of the issues that we're dealing with today. What's
3: your uh I think commitment is a, a commitment is a big challenge. Um I think people in theory want to be married when they get married and they want to stay married. Um, but I part, part of the problem is they don't know, they don't know what to expect. So they think relationships are supposed to be great. So when the dream becomes a nightmare, it's very hard. Why should I stay? Why should I stay? So that that is a challenge. I think all of these answers, I mean, it's they're kind of tied into each other. The disposable society, we are used to we're not used to hard work, and it's part of also with the affluence that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, or maybe some of us might be familiar with that the The very basic need is survival. If we have our needs met, if we if we we're safe, if we have food, shelter, clothing, so then we can you know worry about love and all these other things. That's why I have so much you know self help and self growth today because we're living in the most affluent society you know in the history of mankind. So we're living like kings of uh, of yesteryear. So we have the luxury of needing to be happy and needing to have a loving relationship. I'm not saying people didn't have loving relationships, but people were had more pressing needs to worry about when running from programs and, and other things. So I think that we see this issue as, i also like to say maybe on a, on a little uh, more deeper level that in terms of the history of mankind, in terms from a Jewish perspective, we know that. The, you know, before Mashiach comes in the last millennium, it's Knege the um, is K'nege, the sixth millennium is Knege the uh, the Midah of Yesod, which is all about connection and relationship. So it's it's no coincidence that the the things that we're working on to be able to bring completion to the world is about relationships. Much more emphasis on relationships, not just between parent parenting, which you have next week, between husband and wife, between friend between between us and Hashem, um, there's a lot, a lot more focus on that than we ever, than we've seen in maybe previous generations. So I think this is a tikkun that we have at this time to be able to work on it, and we have the luxury of being able to do it. But it's also hard because it's not as easy as we think. But if we're willing to put the commitment in, you know, I write in my book the first five. I have a book called The Five Step Action Plan to a Healthy and Happy Marriage, and step number one is commitment, because without commitment you can't get anywhere. Commitment basically aligns your whole being to be energized to to reach your goal. If you have one foot out the door, if you're thinking about, well, I have an apartment waiting for me if if this doesn't work out, you can't really be fully present and do the work you ne- needed to make the relationship work. And I've seen it time and time again, people with really serious issues, really serious breaches of trust who are able to work on the relationship because they're committed to staying together. And people who have little squabbles, I would, would say maybe more trivial issues, who are not fully committed, who who don't make it. So the bottom line is commitment, but we need to be able to see a reason to commit. And part of what Imago does, it gives you a reason to see the purpose of committing. Because if you just experience the pain you're in, why would I want to be committed to this person who's hurting me? If you can understand what's going on and what's going on beneath the surface, then it gives you much more of a buy-in to to want to make it work and put in the effort.
1: Okay, so anybody who's here, again, you can text me, Osher Barnes to ask any questions um people spend a lot of money to go to Revis latkin he has these these courses but he's here to, he, to, to help us so let's 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 hop around let's let's really uh, ask him again it doesn't have to be for yourself obviously it could be for your neighbor we know that but asking, uh, for, a friend. Or, yeah. asking for a friend exactly we all know that so we're gonna have to preface the question okay let's start with the first basic question we have a few questions came in uh revist we have been in traditional therapy for years and we can't seem to really understand each other's needs is it possible
3: we're just not made for each other? Wait, So a few points to the question. I want to address first this idea of being made for each other, not made for each other from the Imago perspective. And then we can talk a little bit more about traditional therapy versus Imago. Um, so first of all, what does it mean? You know, A lot of people say I'm not made for each other. Maybe your therapist will tell you you're not made for each other. <laughs> Hopefully not. What does that mean? So from the Mago perspective, which I find it, it seems very, very much in line with with Judaism. There is a belief I would say, you could call it Hashkacha Pratis. And I think that's, I remember when I got engaged and I was telling somebody about how, how unbelievable the whole story is, how I met my wife. And she says, you know, people really see the Yad Hashem. People really see the Hashkacha Pratis, divine providence in Shidduchim. And when people, when a match comes together, they see the hand of God. And it's true. But for some reason, we we all we all become a little bit heretical when things aren't when things go go south. When we start having problems, we forget about the hand of God. We think that maybe God really made a mistake. That we thought he thought he made the perfect match, but now it turns out it wasn't the perfect match. So Imago is not a religious therapy, but Imago sees that there is a reason. There's a purpose. There's a purpose for why you picked each other, and the purpose for this for the for the challenges. So we assume and you know, we say that you really shouldn't assume but one thing we do assume is, as a Mago therapist is that the couple that's in front of us is in the right relationship. How do we know that? We all have an impulse to connect. We're all looking to connect with someone. You know, it says, the Torah says okay, um, that a person leaves their father and mother and they cleave, cleave to their wife. That the idea is that We're looking to, we were born in connection and we are looking to create connection with, with, uh, you know, the mature partner in a marriage. So, why do we pick our spouse? So, we'll talk a little bit later, maybe about different situations, but from, we'll talk about the imago, the general imago perspective, then we can tailor it a little bit more to maybe uh, what some people are used to. So, whether you, have more a western type of dating uh, you know romantic dating as you call it or whether you went out on a shidduch but you felt a connection with this person a strong connection there is a reason that attracted you to that that partner over somebody else you know most people don't marry the first person they met some people but so there could be you know it could have gone out with 10 people 20 people why did you pick that person so imago suggests there is a deeper reason and we have conscious reasons we have many different reasons but there is something going on in the subconscious there's something that attracted us to us it's almost like an antenna that's connecting us to that person we're looking for a certain type of person you know from a jewish perspective we could say that hashem brought us to this person he made us attractive to this person for a very important reason so what imago would say is that we're looking for our imago and i'm going to tell you what the word means you've been waiting Imago means image in Latin. We have an unconscious image of our ideal partner, which means we are unconsciously looking for the ideal spouse. So who is that ideal spouse? Is it the person that we wrote or a list of all the things that we want? Or is there something deeper? So what Imago suggests, and some of you who are um, might be a little uncomfortable with this, but and it might feel a little bit shocking, but what this suggests is that you, this image is the composite. It's a combination of the positive and negative characteristics of your primary caretakers, meaning your mother or your father. You are looking to marry someone very familiar. You are looking to recreate the childhood because marriage is, as we say in the Mago, the unfinished business of childhood. It's a chance to get it right. So, I can hear people asking, you know, what does this sound Freudian? So, Imago borrows some of the psychodynamic ideas, and its eclectic it has some other things as well. But object relations—I don't want to bore you all the technical uh, psychological psychological mambo jumbo—and unless you're interested, I know we're not all clinicians here. But the but for for our purposes, we are looking to find somebody very familiar in order to get it right, in order to grow and to heal. So let's understand what this means. There's a, there's a lot that we can do to un, unpack this and it's really unbelievable because we I see this on a daily basis. People might think this is crazy. I see it on a daily basis how it plays out. So the childhood it does not this does not mean that you had a bad childhood. This does not mean that your parents were abusive. You're those of you who are parents, you know, we do the best job we can with our children but and there's we don't always understand what a child needs. If you think of a little baby, a baby a baby cries. Now, what does the baby need? The baby needs a diaper change, the baby's teething, the baby's um, tired, um, maybe there's something else going on. You don't know, because the baby can't communicate. You can intuit what it is, but you're not going to know because the baby can't tell you. And similarly, as children get older, they're not always able to express their emotions. So we do our best to attune to the child. We do our best to figure out what they need, but sometimes there's a mismatch. We have situations where people really do a horrible job. They really hurt their ch- children. they really invalidate their children. um they're doing everyone's doing the best they can based on what they learn from their parents. And this is a tradition that we pass on from generation to generation until we can get conscious and stop it. So we're not here to blame parents. and we're not here to use it as a crutch. Oh, I had a horrible childhood, so you know that's why I do this. It's not an excuse, but it's a way to understand the context. So, Two people are looking for someone to remind us, remind us of the childhood so that we can get it right. And why is this so powerful? Why can't we just find somebody? Why don't we just have a list? Okay, I had, these are the three things I didn't get growing up. I want to find somebody who will meet those needs. And, you know, ha- shalom al we live ha- happily ever after. Well, that would be nice, but that's not the way it works. We have to have an element of conflict as we learn that when Hashem created, created Chava, it says, Essela Ezer Kenegdo, that she is an Ezer, she's a helpmate Kenegdo against him, which means that the, the against him, the opposition, the not just in the relationship serves as the Azer, as the assistance. That's what helps bring out the growth and the healing. It would be boring if you just, you know, everybody gives each other what they need and it's all good. There's something to be said about bringing out the good and the healing through the challenge. So it, we'll give an example. So the Gemara talks about this, and the Raman codifies this in Cheshuvah. What is what? How do we identify Shuvah? How, how do we know if somebody really changed? So the real way to know that somebody changed is they're in the same circumstances, the same situation, and they pass the test. It's easy to say that I change if you know I, it's not as difficult or if it's some, some other situation. But if I'm in the same situation or I feel or experience in my body, that I'm in the same situation and I change and I do something different, that's where it shows that I've really grown. And that's what's happening in this situation in a marriage. Because as we said, marriage is unfinished business of childhood. Your spouse is going to uniquely push your buttons. And if you're able to respond differently than you did growing up, that shows that you're able, that you have actually, I would say, passed the test. Um, so let's explain the, a little bit more about about childhood. So, and w- sorry, one more point about this. When we see what the issues are, we know that we we see that we're in the the right relationship. We see that it's tailor made for us. Um, so childhood, as I said, childhood it doesn't have to be a traumatic childhood, but the nature of trauma and the nature of an experience as a child, because children are very suggestible, that when something happens emotionally to them, it goes right down, right. It bypasses their, you know, that lo- logic part of your brain, it goes kind of etched into their, uh, their, their software, their programming. And so too, that's what happens with a trauma. So I've even had people where maybe their child, whether the childhood was bad or not, they had a traumatic experience. It uh, looks like I was muted. So I don't know what, the, was there something anyone missed? You're good,
0: you're good you go to continue. Okay, looks like it was unmuted.
3: So you know, I remember I had somebody who was in, regardless of his childhood story, he had an experience where he was in a horrible, you know, car accident and he was unable to use his limbs. He was able to move, he couldn't do anything for like six months. And he was totally dependent on other people to go to the bathroom, to eat. I mean, it was, you can imagine the impact that it had on somebody. And the scariest thing and the issues that came up for him in a relationship were around that. It kept going back. The triggers that he had with his wife went back to that same experience of being helpless. So you could look at the situation from on a surface level and you know think about what they're arguing about, and you can never really resolve the problem. But we had to go deeper to understand what was going on and where it was coming from. So I want to back um just want to backtrack a little bit. So and then I'll go more into this. So you have what we have, the romantic stage. You fall in love or you choose somebody, you're attracted to somebody who seems like this amazing partner, seems like this great person, you know, the dream dream spouse. And then all of a sudden, after the commitment happens, we have what we call an imago, the power struggle. And the power struggle is normal. It's expected. And this is where couples fight. This is where couples get divorced if they can't take it anymore, or they stay married and are miserable, and this is where couples are when they're coming to counseling, unless it's like a pre couple that's mandated by the rabbi to go to counseling, but even some premarried couples have have challenges. So the power struggle is like, what did I get myself into? This isn't the person I thought I was, was marrying, and we start fighting, and we start, and we're suffering, and we start wondering, questioning, would it be better with someone else? Did I pick, this is the question, maybe I'm just not with the right person, So what we suggest in Imago is, because marriage is an unfinished business of childhood, and because we are looking for this Imago, we need to get conscious. We need to understand, within the power struggle, why does this bother me so much? Why does it bother me when I'm sitting here at the Shabbos table, and I make Kiddush, and I might see, and then you go to the couch right afterwards? And why does it bother me um, that you complain about the hand soap that I bought, which has a scent that you don't like? Um, You can think of many different examples. We could get caught in what we call the power struggle. And unfortunately, that's where most counseling takes place and stays there. You're bickering about this. I think we should do this. I think we should do that. No, you're right. You're wrong. The therapist likes, can come in and say, well, I think this is what you should do. And we have everybody arguing about the power struggle and putting a Band-Aid on the problem. But as I was working with a couple today, they said, you know, all the things we talked about are really the same issue. All of the symptoms, all the little problems, all the little tips, they go back to the same issue. I don't feel seen. I don't matter. You know, it, there are a lot of different themes we can have, but... They always go back to one or two main themes. And where are those themes coming from? Those themes are coming from the childhood. And this is a power of what we call the conscious the conscious marriage. That what the job of the imago therapist is to help the couple, or even if you're going to imago therapy, if you're doing the work on your own, it's, you know getting conscious about your childhood issues. Why does it bother me? Instead of pointing fingers and blaming your spouse for your misery, understanding why does it bother me? And we have a saying, we say, if it's hysterical, it's historical. If it really bothers us, if it really pushes our buttons, then it's gotta be something deeper. Or we also say the 90-10 rule, it's 10% the trigger and it's 90% what it's triggering. So we have a video on our our online course video We have our online course. We have a video where my wife and I actually do a demo of dialogue process. And it's a real reenactment of a wonderful fight. We used to have every air Shabbos. And every time I watch it, when I train therapists, I have this like visceral reaction. I mean, we're doing a really good job. I really feel like we're really back there in the kitchen. And I'm coming in and I'm I'm coming in to help my wife, air Shabbos. And I start peeling the vegetables for the soup and peeling the vegetables in the sink. We didn't have a garbage disposal at the time. And. My wife's like, can you just peel the vegetables in a bag? I'm just thinking like, what do you care if, where I peel the vegetables? It's not, I'm not, I'm a very neat person. I'm going to pick them up afterwards. As soon as I fun- I peel them all, pick them up, throw them in the garbage. No, I need you to peel them in a bag. Like, this is crazy. Okay. And then I start questioning, oh, well, why are you doing it that way? Why Why are you cutting, you know, why are you cutting the vegetables like that? Just like you can do it much more efficiently if you do it this way. And we're fighting, fighting. And then finally, my wife just runs out of the, the kitchen. And this was like a recurrent. We could not cook with each other. Every week, it was a nightmare. And then I wound up having to do everything. So I have a whole. She was annoyed with me, but I was also annoyed with her. And I had my whole story. And I'm thinking, like, wait a minute. I'm such a good husband. I'm coming here to help you. And now, and and now, like, now I'm the bad guy. What's going on here? So I thought about it, and you know, I knew because obviously. Doing this work. Sometimes they say, you know, that the Gemara says in Brachas that that person can't get themselves out of jail. You know, you don't have the key. You need somebody else to get you out of jail. You need somebody else to help you. There's some examples there, but you need somebody else to be able to to help you to be able to see what you can't see on your own. But I had a little idea and I said, you know what? There's got to be something more here. This cannot be about peeling vegetables in the sink. You don't have such a reaction for that a disproportionate response you know the punishment doesn't fit the crime so we had a dialogue and we didn't even know where it would lead even though we had this issue for years i don't know we never really talked about it we talked about it was an issue but we never got to the depth so we're live on camera we're doing this recording and she goes back to the childhood and it has to do with her story growing up and uh, and the dynamic without getting into all the details uh, you can watch the video But the dynamic in the kitchen and how she felt kind of like this idea of me coming in and feeling like I was kind of controlling the environment and having to do things a certain way. And it really triggered her. And when I heard that, I felt so bad because I know what her childhood was like, and I did not want to trigger her childhood. And I was not interested in making her feel, feel hurt. I just thought I was being helpful. I just thought I was, you know, doing nothing wrong. And when I heard that I didn't feel the need to respond. I didn't feel the need to defend myself. Before I had, you know, before we had the dialogue, I was ready to talk about you know, my resentment and my feeling about the kitchen. And, but I had, had no need to do it anymore because I realized it's 10% me. It's 90% her story. It's, if it's hysterical, it's it's historical. And what happened? I wound up after that dialogue, no therapist told me, you know, I should start peeling vegetables in the, in the garbage. I I decided, you know what, I got it. I realized it's not about me. I'm like, okay, fine, big big deal. Even though she told me like 100 times, peel the vegetables, I still was fighting against it. Once I realized it was not a personal affront, I started peeling vegetables in the bag. And then we moved and got a garbage disposal. And, and now my wife peels vegetables in the sink and we have a big, big laugh about that. So it's not an issue anymore because we were able to understand where it was coming from. And there's so many examples of this where couples are stuck fighting about, I mean, we're, I'm talking about things that maybe seem seem trivial, but I think all of us can relate to them. But this goes from these little issues to the big issues. It's the same idea. If we go deeper, if we can understand where it's coming from, we see that it's all goes back to something deeper in the childhood. And when we get there, then everything begins to open up. It's like, that's like, I would say it's like the Gula. It's like we're in Mitzrayim, the power struggle is Mitzrayim. It's a constricted consciousness. It's like we're not able to see what's really going on. And then when we can shine the light on and see what's really going on, become conscious, all of a sudden the consciousness sets us free. Becoming aware and understanding what's going on and having compassion for our spouse it helps us be able to change. And we can talk more about how the process helps us change and more about the specifics of the dialogue. But just to get the idea that if you study the conflict, you see we're in the right relationship. So this idea that you know, this is a long answer to a short, short question. We're not made for each other, all because you have conflict, all because you're in therapy for years. I'm, I've am i had people say, I'm your third therapist, your seventh therapist. I deal with couples who have been married for 40 years, you know, senior citizens, and they're able, you know, they say, you can't teach an old, old dog new tricks. You, and a couple said at the end, you know, you say, you can't teach an old, old dog new tricks. You can. But it's really about getting to to the depth of it. And when you get to the depth and when you can see the childhood piece, then it changes everything.
0: Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. and It will be pr- greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance. So okay. Pause there. I don't so, have any questions about so that. So we get, well. we get uh, a little bit of a understanding what happens in the room of uh doing a maga work but i'll just mention another question and then hopefully we'll continue to see how it works so here's a question i've been married for over a decade baruch Hashem i did have bumps throughout the way but lately my wife tells me that she feels unhappy unhappy with the marriage feels disconnected like we're living two separate lives i asked her why why she feels this way? She responded, "I don't know, but that's what I feel. She just feels disconnected. Is there any uh, awareness you can give on, on this? Just understand what's going on, where it comes from."
3: Mm-hmm. So, what the question is: Why couples? It's nothing really horrible that happened in the relationship, but they just kind of grow apart. So, one of the things that we mentioned the power struggle. You, there's, I said, there's a few options. The One option which we hope everybody chooses is the conscious marriage, becoming conscious of what's going on to get out of the power struggle. But the most popular options are divorce, which is, we'll say, 50%, at least in the general community. I don't know in the Jewish community what the rate is, but uh, unfortunately, I don't think we're too far behind uh, from what I seem, seem to hear in the street. And then we have what we call the invisible divorce, where we're roommates, more like roommates instead of soulmates. We're staying together, but we're not connected. We're not feeling it it doesn't mean we hate each other's guts but we're not feeling a strong connection it's just kind of parve of... so sometimes there's a few different ways of looking at this number one I think that sometimes if if the initial connection was not so strong meaning sometimes people do get married because it just you know we liked each other it was fine it wasn't like uh, fireworks or anything like that there wasn't tons of energy there in the beginning and there's also not tons of conflict either, and sometimes we find the couples that have the the most excitement are also the most become the most volatile couples. So it's the question is what in Amago we view everything as terms of energy. So if you have that, a lot of that positive energy, that can become a lot of negative intense energy. If there's not really so much energy to begin with, then you also don't have so much you don't have so much conflict, but you don't have so much um, you know passion connection that's that's one side point but in this invisible divorce what we tend to do is as follows the relationship isn't even in this situation even if we have bumps it's not necessarily what we thought it was going to be and we feel disconnected and one of the challenges we have is marriage doesn't come with with instructions we don't have a handbook we don't know what we're supposed to do we don't know what we're supposed to expect nobody understands people tell you you're going to fight but People think that they don't understand this idea of the, that the fighting and the, the conflict is for a purpose of growth and healing. So it's not something people are aware of, number one. Um, and people don't have the skills to be able to interact and communicate effectively. So what happens? So some of those couples, the couples that don't want to fight and act out, they, I would say that we call it exits. So they check out of the relationship. And, and not that they're doing anything, there's some like, trim, there's some catastrophic exits where people get involved in, you know, in substance abuse, in, in, in various types of addictions and fidelity. Those are more catastrophic exits that can be healed if there's a willingness to do do the work and it's, you know, a little bit more complicated. I think it's maybe it's beyond our uh, discussion right at this moment. And then you have what we call functional exits. And functional, functional exits are everyday activities that are normal, that are totally fine to do. But if we engage in them to avoid being with our spouse those are ways of checking out of the relationship and what it's like if you can imagine the relationship exists in the space between the couple that's where the energy needs to go for the relationship to be successful so it's like if you have a if you have a, if you have a plant and you need to water the plant you need to nurture the plant it needs to get sunlight but if you don't nurture the plant if you just live together or you just coexist And not for any wrong reason. You know, people's lives get busy. You know, start having children. You have work pressures, lots of different things that can happen, financial struggles. And it can become very difficult for the couple to really focus on each other, to make the time for each other. They're not showing up with their best selves because they're stressed. They're sleep deprived. Um, There's so many variables. And if they're not consciously creating time to connect, in a deeper way in a positive way not putting deposits into the relationship then the relationship can kind of wither away or as i said it's like a balloon you have the energy in the balloon if you poke a hole in the balloon and another hole and another hole the air seeps out to the point where there it's a, like an invisible divorce as i said it's like a it can feel like a lifeless relationship but there's no passion and there's no connection and that's that's a challenge a lot of people feel like what you know what am i supposed to do at this at this moment So just to talk a little bit more about these exits, because sealing the exits are going to be part of the job, and we can't always do it at once, but one of the, so let's talk about it, exits, um, work, exercise, chesed, volunteering, you know, I have to, you know, I have to run this uh, charity match campaign, whatever they call them, (laughs) match campaigns, you know, I'm busy with it and I gotta get all these ambassadors and it's gonna I gotta get all these teams and we're like on the for months preparing for it and then the days when you're watching it. And what about what about your spouse? I'm not saying you shouldn't do these things, you know, it's it's very good to do chesed, it's very good to go to the gym, it's very good to go to work. Um, it's very good to be a you know parent your children. Um, but some of these things when part of the reason we're doing oh, it is to no, avoid no. It's to true. avoid our spouse, that becomes a problem. So for example, you know, I had a I had a client where the guy he owned his own business. He could have come home earlier, but he stayed an hour late every night because his wife wasn't talking to him at home. So I don't blame him. Why would you want to go home? Your wife's not talking to you, giving you the silent treatment for sure. But that's an exit. Um some people get into, you know, therapy can be an exit, self-growth. I mean, this is maybe a controversial, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. I'm so into my self-growth and improving myself that there's no room for the relationship. I forgot about you. Um, therapy, individual therapy, can be an exit. Parenting can be an exit. I don't have time for you. I have to. I have to spend time with the kids. I have to take the kids to, you know, to practice or to this this activity and that activity. Never time for the spouse. Um, you know, I'm sure none of you have smartphones, but. Uh, social media, smartphones, all these things are, I mean, this comes up every day in therapy with with everyone from all backgrounds. This becomes an issue that I say that most people, yeah, at some point, they'll talk about one person who's always on the phone. Now, we're not connected, and we're finding ways to connect, and I think we desperately want to connect, but we just don't know how to. So this creates, for a lot of us, this kind of parallel existence where we can live together and you know, it's it's easier to stay together. It's financial it makes more financial sense to stay together. We don't believe in divorce. We believe in marriage. It's better for the kids. But there's no passion there. So what what we suggest in Amago is first of all, you want to close the exits slowly, but you have to be aware of them first. Make a conscious choice. As we always say, if you want to go go work out, that's fine. But if you're making a conscious choice, I really need. You know, i saying to my wife, I really need to go on the treadmill right now because you know I had a hard day. And I need to like let some steam off. That's fine if you're conscious if you're intentional about it and you and you and you articulate it. But if you just like come home and disappear and go in your closet and start going and you know, scrolling Facebook, you know, and you don't say like I need time to veg or you just go like you know there's some other activity. Uh, you're not intentional about it. You're just kind of you're being unconscious about it. That is that is where we're we're exiting. So talking about it is important and then of course filling the space of the relationship with something enjoyable and pleasurable because the whole reason we exit and we we check out of the relationship is that well this space doesn't feel comfortable it doesn't mean it's volatile but it's not comfortable i don't so i'll find something that feels more comfortable so we need to make sure the space is comfortable so that means you know detoxing your marriage thinking about remo- removing the negativity Moving negative interactions, we can talk about. Now, one of the later inventions in Imago that Dr. Harville Hendricks um, brought into Imago is we call the zero negativity challenge, that eliminating all negativity, because what negativity does for the brain, it's very damaging, and it does for the relationship, it pollutes the space, and it drives each other away. So removing negativity, removing all blaming, all shaming from the relationship, it seems impossible to do, but... It's doable and it's something that is is crucial and vital. And more and more, the focus is on that uh, over the years in Amado. Imago has been around for a long time. People think this maybe this was invented a few years ago. Uh, He started Harville Hendrick started training couples I think in 1980. Uh, So it's been around, probably been around. If anyone's a Gottman or EFT expert here, uh, I think it's probably predates Gottman and EFT. You know, it comes of course after Murray Bowen and all the other you know uh, Minuchin and all the other types of family systems therapy. But I believe it comes with forgotten in EFT or it's been around for a while. But in Mago, it's moved more and more towards removing removing the negativity. So moving the toxicity and also infusing your relationship with love, with connection, making deposits in the relationship. One of the things that we focus on is, and this is important, a practical thing that you can take, is appreciations. I have every couple start off a session with an appreciation. I recommend every couple that I work with, to do it every day, which means, and this is important for couples who don't feel that connection. It means this, making a set time every day to share something that you appreciate about your spouse. If you don't make a set time, it won't happen. It's like saying, you know, I'm gonna go learn this safer. I'm gonna do this. If you don't, it's not gonna happen. You have to have a set time. If If you have a set time, it will happen. You know, you know you have to daven three times, at least for the men, daven three times a day. There's a set time to daven. You know it's going to happen. If you just said, I'm going to daven when I feel like it, you might have very good intentions, but it's not going to happen. So so you want to make sure that it's something kavua. And when you make a kavua, there's no power struggle, which means you're not having your wife whining and nagging you. We're, we didn't do the appreciations today. Why don't you do the appreciations? Or the husband complaining, you know, I thought we agreed to do this and you didn't, and you, know, you don't really care about the relationship, and it one, becomes one-sided, It becomes another thing to fight about. I'm not interested in giving you suggestions that are going to create a, more conflict in your relationship. If you both agree to it, making a time, sitting face-to-face for two minutes, one thing I appreciate about you, your quality I appreciate, or something you've done for me, no backhanded compliments, purely positive. Um, then your spouse repeats it back, what I heard you say, I'll talk about mirroring later, but what I heard you say is you appreciate that I, you know, made you your favorite dinner tonight, you know, and they asked that I get you, is there more? And then you share the reason. I appreciate that, really appreciate that because it makes me feel like you care about me. So it's a much more meaningful connection. You're sharing what you appreciate about each other and you're sharing why you appreciate about each other. And the other person is not allowed to respond. They just have to repeat back what you said. They're not going to say, oh, no big deal. Um, or argue with it, or that's not really an appreciation. I did more for you. That's the only thing you can think of. Purely positive opportunity to connect. And when you do that on a consistent basis, you begin to experience your spouse as somebody that you want to be with, somebody that's enjoyable to be with. Your brain feels it differently because if you don't have the negativity, it's almost like we become addicted to the negativity. So we need to replace it with something else. And if you get used to receiving this positive feedback, it does change. it does give you the opportunity to connect. and one one more point, and there's a lot more we can say about this, but one more point is also to do to do new activities together. You know when we do new activities together like dating, date your spouse again, make a date night, go out together, do fun things, learn new things together. That helps create new neural pathways in your brain, and it helps you bond together, just like you bonded during the dating experience. It helps you be able to bond. So it is possible. You know, it's kind of dovetails on both. It po- it's possible to be able to reconnect. It's not a, re- even though you don't connect, doesn't mean you're not in the right relationship. You can make your relationship better. You can you can infuse it with some um, more positivity. And you could ask yourself and get a little bit, you know, self-aware. Why, what's bothering me about this? Why do I feel like I'm not able to connect? Sometimes there's something deeper there. Sometimes there's something that's preventing. I'm afraid to connect. I don't want to be vulnerable. I'm afraid if I'm vulnerable, then what if I get rejected? And then it's just easier to like put up a wall. And sometimes that's the case in a lot of relationships. I was going to ask
0: you. I was going to ask you if you go back to see the childhood. Yeah. Well, you mentioned before. What's the reason why this person is looking for exit strategies? You know, escaping. What? What's what's going on? What's behind it? Do you go back to see what's going on in childhood?
3: Yeah. So a lot of times, so. We, there's we can even do like a whole exercise about exits where you explore the, what I do to exit the relationship and what I'm avoiding by doing this and what this reminds me of from my childhood. And a lot of times it does go back that exit strategy that goes back to the childhood. Um, and a lot of people are afraid we, again. We are we are born in a relationship, we are wounded in a relationship, and the only true way to heal is in relationship. So, so how.
0: How would you do that in the Amago process? So in the people, process. people go to therapy. People go to therapy for childhood trauma, childhood uh, whatever it brings up. How would you bring it into the Amago? We would have the couple talk about it together.
3: So I I would guide the couple to talk about what's the presenting issue. Let's say the presenting issue is that I feel that you know I don't know I I don't engage in the relationship. Uh, I spend. I spend all this time volunteering um, because I just, you know, don't feel comfortable at home, or I just get more sefek and effort, I get more enjoyment, satisfaction with that. Um, and understanding, I mean, it might be true. Of, four, of course, it's it's much more enjoyable to to be doing things where people praise you and you don't have any conflict. Uh, um, it's just the same thing when somebody thinks about, you know, they want to be in a relationship with somebody else, and They it's like they're in that romantic stage with somebody else. Feels much more enjoyable. You're not having all the conflict. So of course all these things have a you know uh, have more of an appeal. But helping the couple understand, well leading them with sentence stems and guiding them back to explore their feelings about it and why they do this and what this reminds me of my childhood, what I learned, what I saw growing up around this issue. There's very you know various ways to 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 deal with it and address it depending on the unique situation, but the goal would be to help the couple go deeper and explore that. So we find that a lot of the work that people are doing on their own, I mean, I'm not taking away from the trauma work and sometimes and various types of trauma work, of course, it's really important that you know you might need some type of especially whether it's like abuse and molestation. There's certain things that will be very helpful that I can't say that we're going to be able to do. You know, I'm not doing EMDR or, or other types of modalities with couples, but it's all about creating safety and when people don't feel safe then, and when people are wounded they're hypersensitive to anything that's going to be dangerous and i want to talk more about safety also but so we're on guard and it makes it difficult to open up to our spouse it makes it difficult to be fully involved in a relationship and i think that if people are hurt if people if people have when we explore when couples start a lot of couples who see that they have a history of being hurt in relationships whether it's Whether it's with their their spouse, maybe even in they were married. Some people have been married multiple times. Um, So I learned through my failures. I learned through my challenges in past relationships that it's not safe to get close to somebody. There's only odd con, like only till here I can go. I cannot really fully become vulnerable. I can't really fully take the plunge because I'm at risk of getting hurt because that's what's happened to me through my life. And that's a powerful realization because. We wonder, like, what's going on here? Why are you not able to get connected? So there is a risk involved, but if we don't get vulnerable, then there's also going to be a limit to the depth of the relationship.
1: Okay, Rabbi Re- 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 Slatkin, let's let's go to a live question. But there's a few more sure. questions we have to clarify. People texting that they want to understand yeah. what is a mago, what, first, what's supposed to tishon mago, and also what. And let's do a little bit more role play with like a real case. But, but let's go to the live question first, okay? Sure. Okay, you're on.
0: Yeah, hi. Uh, good evening. Thank you very much for your presentation. I really appreciate it. I have two questions, and if you think they're too clinical for tonight's presentation, then feel free to,
1: to say so. Sure.
0: Um, one question is, do you, how different is it from EFT? Or guess? Well, it's very similar, but I'm wondering how different it is. And the other thing, if you think that Imago could be utilized with couples where at least one person has a uh, diagn- clinical diagnosis, like an ASD or a personal disorder.
3: Okay. Those are, do we do we want to answer this now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah okay. I mean, we got a question like that also. Somebody, you know, a few people texted me that married somebody who's a narcissist or somebody who has a personality right. disorder. You know, is this something that we want to work with? So I guess yeah, it ties into that.
3: Okay. So let's deal with um, let's deal with both questions. The first is about EFT, emotionally focused therapy. I am. I cannot say if anyone's uh, EFT practitioner. I mean, I don't know if you'll let them speak better or put it in a note, but so I can't speak authoritatively on it. I can tell you my experience from couples that I've worked with who have done EFT, uh, where they felt that it didn't really get them where they needed to do. And with all of these things, it's it, it's the modality, it's the practitioner. You could have somebody who, who is supposedly doing imago therapy, but they listen to one of my three hour, uh, you know, continuing ed credits and start advertising on psychology today they do a so they're not really a certified emago therapist so you know it's not a raya that if someone went to EFT that it didn't work out. Um, and sometimes it's not a good fit the client the client and the therapist they don't mesh there's a lot of things going on. But one thing in terms of clinically what the difference is. So emago is there is the emotional piece of the EFT and the emotional depth what I understand from EFT, emago is focused on the couple. It's focused on the interaction between the couple, which means the couples facing each other. The couples talking to each other. The therapist does not. The therapist facilitates the process. Now, from my understanding, EFT they have sessions where they meet privately with, you know, with the individual, maybe maybe one or two times with each person separately, and then the couple. Um, we don't do that in Imago. I mean, you know, strict uh, Imago fundamentalist uh, Imago. We don't. We don't separate the couple because we believe it leads to triangulation and a lot of things but the 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 focus is on the relationship and that the healing has to happen in the relationship this is the relational paradigm and when it's not about the therapist working with one or the other helping the ther- helping one or the other focusing on one it's about them facilitating that safe connection um so that's that's one aspect of it another thing about EFT is from my understanding Okay, so for for an assessment. So we're not really interested in, you know, Imago is not, this kind of may tie into the next one. Um, I don't want to say it's not clinical, it is clinical, but it's not as clinical as maybe some of these other modalities. Um, it's not, we're not here to pathologize or to figure out the problem because it really doesn't matter in the end. It matters the connection and what we can do to help the couple. So for, for example, I had somebody call me once and this couple is a very difficult couple talking to me on the phone about, so I do, as I mentioned, I do these, we do retreats with couples. We do private retreats and group retreats. So when someone wants to do a private retreat, it's not just like, let's come for an hour of therapy and see how it works. If it doesn't work, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have to come back. It's not so much of an investment. When someone wants to do a private retreat, it's investing a lot of time and energy and resources to do this. So they really make sure it's a good fit. So I'm speaking to this couple and they're arguing with me on the phone, which is like, not the way I do it in a session. They're talking over each other. This person so this person has this disorder, and this this is a problem. This is a. Pro- I said, you know what? I don't need to know all. It, the question is this: whether or not your spouse is a narcissist, whether or not your spouse is uh, borderline, and what I want to talk more about this too. But if your relationship, if your relationship changed, if your relationship improved, if this behavior ceased to exist would you be happy? And the answer is yes. I said, okay, so let's take, let's stop pathologizing each other. Let's stop pointing fingers. You know, half of the diagnoses people get are, you know, they found on Dr. Google gave them. Um, So we'll talk about it with professionals too. But so some of these diagnoses are not necessarily real that a clinician actually diagnosed. So if someone just came up on their own, they read about it online, they think that some, their spouse has a disorder, i have already, it's already a red flag to me. The, the purpose is, it's the process. Can, if you can get safe, a lot of these behaviors can change. And that's ultimately what we want. It doesn't make a difference if we label this person. So we're not really interested in, again, if somebody wants to tell us, we usually find out about anything that's really important. They'll tell us over the phone, or it will come out in the beginning of the work that we do. So I don't we don't need to take a whole, we don't need to like think about what the problem is and, and try to solve the problem and pathologize and say this person is this has this problem. This person is this and that. Uh, it's more about guiding them in the process, creating safe connection, and helping them be able to work better together. And we see that that is really the healing, the healing element. Uh, another another person who was the EFT wrote in the chat. I didn't see exactly what they. Um, but one of I don't know exactly what the what the I would say the clinical process in EFT is. And I guess that will be for some another therapist that you bring on who does EFT. But I found that with the Imago process, it gives them something very tangible that I think EFT, some people feel like it's very helpful in the office, but what do you do when you go home? And a lot of the people that I've who have been to EFT and then they did Imago, they said this really gave us a roadmap. This really gave us something very specific, a specific process that we could replicate at home and change the dialogue process, which we haven't really said
1: okay so let's let's go to the next question which really going to twist into where i want to go with this yeah so somebody writes I understanding my go therapy is, is like a little bit like normal therapy with a twist of more communication and parenting
2: mm-hmm.
1: my therapist have been doing this for years and i still feel misunderstood but more than let's clarify let, let's if we could do some type of role play I'll give an example of a couple she gets always upset he's always late and he's always running and she'll he'll, you know just always a consistent fighting back and forth how would it actually play out how explain to me Sitting with a couple, how would you talk to him? How would you talk to her? How do you show them each each other's side?
3: Okay, so I will tell you a little bit about this. So mirroring, as you said, parroting. It's not parroting, as Coach Menachem said. It's not just parroting. It's not. It's interesting. One of my colleagues, um, we were doing a training, and uh, we were training therapists to become among the fac- associate faculty. She was talking about that when Harwell Hendricks came to speak to her in her city years ago. We had like three hundred therapists there. And he left and they said, you know what? He's not teaching us anything new. He's just teaching us active listening. Active listening is where one person hears what the other one says and repeats back. He said, Imago is not about active listening. It's about changing the brain to become mindful. It's about rewiring the brain through a dialogue process. So I want to explain what the process is. I want to explain what the problem is that the process is coming to, to fix. So, so
1: play it out. To play it out with us. We understand how it actually works.
3: We can. Yeah, I'll play out. I'll, I can tell you the the steps of. We want to do the steps first. We going to tell why why we need to do the steps.
1: I want to see how it actually so, would work. I want to understand okay. how it would work.
3: Okay. So the challenge of our relationship. I'm
1: technically, a live couple that would do it. A live couple.
3: <laughs> if anyone wants to volunteer, I'm ready to.
1: Yeah.
3: So the idea is that the couple is facing each other. But one person shares. The other person. Is one is the receiver, one is the sender. The let's sender. use an
1: example if that's okay. Can we use it like a tangible example?
3: I mean, I can't remember like all the, the exact exact like dialogue back and forth, but the point is one person has an issue. Uh, let's think of a good problem here. I feel like you criticize. So th- it starts off with this. You have to invite. I'll tell you this a story about how it goes first, and then I'll break it down to the pieces and explain what's really going on because you want the story here. So the wife complains, I feel like you're criticizing me. You're criticizing me, everything I do, you want to micromanage me, how I do the laundry, what type of soap I buy, where I put the dishes, you know, how I take care of our child, everything, and I can't take it. Well, what's the normal response? The normal response is, well, the husband might say, "Well, well, I don't really do that, or I didn't really mean it that way, or, you know, well, you're doing things wrong, so I feel like I have to tell you what you're doing. There's a lot of different ways that, what that, that a spouse might respond to that. At this point in the dialogue process, we're not concerned about what he thinks at this moment because the dialogue is an opportunity to enter the world of the other, to cross the bridge into to her world, to hear where she's coming from, and what it consists of. There's an appointment that they make, an invitation to come into to their world, and I got, I wanna break it down more, but just the, the overall. She shares her frustration. He mirrors back, he repeats back what she said. He doesn't answer, he doesn't refute, he doesn't elaborate. As close to verbatim as possible, no spin. Um, so what what I heard you say is that you're really mad at, you don't like that I criticize you all the, you feel like I criticize you all the time, um, that you you nitpick everything I do, you micromanage me. And then he checks to see if he got that right. Did I get you? And then he says, yes. And then he asks, is there more? And she goes on and she keeps sharing more. And then oftentimes the couple is going to share a little bit more about what they're feeling, You know, what hurts me most about this or an example of this. uh, And we go deeper, or the job of the the facilitator of the clinician is to help them go deeper, to be able to, to guide the conversation to help the person develop their feelings and, and take ownership for what they're feeling, as opposed to complaining about what you did and what you didn't do, talking about how it makes me feel. And as they do that, the other person's just repeating back and mirroring back. And what the mirroring does, it, it helps the person feel seen and heard. It's basically saying, when I mirror you back and I repeat what you're saying, it's basically saying, I see you, you matter. What you're saying matters. I'm not here to argue with you. I'm repeating you. You really feel that I criticize you all the time. Did I get, is that right? Did I get you? And then once we finish the the story, once there's no more, we keep checking to see if there's more because a lot of times we don't feel safe to share. Keep sharing, is there more, is there more until they're done. Then we summarize it. And then the the second piece after the mirroring is what we call the validation piece. The validation is where you share what you're saying makes sense and you make sense. And what you're really saying is, I understand you. Understand where you're coming from. I might not agree where you're coming from. You're not supposed to say that. But I understand your perspective and your perspective is valid. And then finally, we empathize. And that's how you share that. But I really, I feel you. I feel what you're feeling. I imagine when this happens, you're feeling sad and scared. Did I get you, is it, right? And then that's the point where I help them go back to the childhood. And I have the person sharing what this reminds me of my childhood is and when we do that all of a sudden we kind of drop (laughs) drop if you have the tip of the iceberg that's 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 the issue but you drop below the tip of the iceberg and that's where everything begins to open up and where you get to see what's really going on what's really going on it doesn't really matter how the husband said it if he meant it why he did it this particular example whether he's right or whether he's wrong that's all the power struggle You can be right or you can be in a relationship. But what's really going on? What's really going on is this girl grew up being told that nothing she does is right. Everything she does is a problem. Every choice she's made in life is a mistake. She's no good. Nothing she can do is right. And when she can share that story and when she can share the pain and when her husband can hear the pain and hear where she's coming from, all of a sudden his heart opens and he realizes, now I understand why you feel like it. Because I was thinking before, you know, I really wasn't criticizing you. I really didn't do it. In that case, I really didn't mean it. Maybe the other case I did, but the case with the child, I didn't really mean it. It was a dangerous situation. She was about to swallow something. It doesn't matter about the details. It matters about her experience and her story. And her story in this relationship is, I don't matter, nothing I do is right and when he can understand that he can begin to be able to meet that need and heal that childhood need of of not of not feeling that i matter and not feeling that whatever anything i do is right and it's extremely powerful because all of a sudden he has no reason to respond no reason to defend himself because he's gotten conscious about where it's coming from and she no longer sees him as the villain because she realizes yes, it's 10% about what he's doing, but it's 90% about that pain that's being stirred up. And when she's aware of that, she views him differently. And he can reimagine her as a wounded child, as opposed to this woman, who, his wife, who is complaining about him as this bad person. And, And when we can reimagine our spouse in a different way, then we can see them in a different way. They show up in a different way. So that's a really, very brief example, without going into all breaking it apart. Um, uh, is there anything specific? Somebody, that somebody just me about that. That?
1: just understand that. What happens if this thing that makes the wife crazy, is the husband is a very big balkas, very angry, and he's always this. With this, Somebody has a terrible midas, so they keep on coming back It's the way his personality is. Would this Imago talking it out help them even though it's a very bad thing that he's doing, very, you know, anger?
3: People have challenges with their midas, but the question is, if a person is feeling safe and connected are they going to start screaming at somebody and this is why it's important to explain this a little bit of a hakdama to what we just said with all this i said a few times about safety but i never really elaborated on what it means the goal of this process is creating safety it's not about solving the problem it's not about troubleshooting it's about creating safe connection because our ultimate need is to feel safe so Let's think about this from the childhood. We talked about we are we are marrying someone that marries the unfinished business of childhood. We are attracted to somebody who's going to remind us of our childhood. Now, when we felt threatened growing up, when we felt in a situation that was uncomfortable, we learn ways of protecting ourselves. We call these adaptations. So we either shut down or, or we make a lot of noise. So I had this couple today and we're talking about this. One of them is we call it the turtle and the other one is the hailstorm. So what does the turtle do? The turtle grew up, he grew up in a home where he had you know, his parents and he had an, a brother and his brother was a big troublemaker. And he was, and his brother would constantly get under his parents' skin. And it was just, he was a big handful. And there was always drama. There was always tension in the home. And it, of course, it's very uncomfortable. So what did he do growing up in order to feel safe? He decided you know what i'm going to make myself small i'm going to go to my safe place i'm going to go in my room read my read my books in my bed and i'm going to be okay and that was his survival mechanism and we we call this a minimizing energy the minimizer in the relationship is the one who we either is conflict averse they either freeze or they submit you have the other person in the relationship who what's what happened with everything in imago when Mongo, we select like opposites attract. That we usually find somebody. The thing we need most from them will be the hardest for them to give. So we're going to find someone who's going to really push a button. So we're going to. The turtle is going to marry a hailstorm. So the hailstorm is the maximizer. They are going to fight or flight. That's a person that grows up in a home. Maybe they feel that they're not being noticed. Maybe they feel that they're they're not important. So what do they do? they don't go into their shell, they make a lot of noise. They say, hello, hello, where are you? Notice me. And it's it's really, and what happens, and this can dovetail on some of these things about, about um, disorders and things like that. A lot of, we say that all bad behavior ultimately comes from lack of safety, which means when a person feels under threat, they're going to go to a very primitive part of our brain. So we have a model we call the triune brain. Where we break the brain into three parts. I'll do my little brain you can my little handy dandy brain uh model here you have what we call the reptilian brain or that's the brain stem that is where like the autonomic nervous system that's what keeps us alive that's what helps us you know modulates our breathing um that's where that's where we ca- the kind of our knee jerk reactions are programmed then you have the emotional brain the limbic system and then you have the prefrontal cortex and the the more logical part of our brain, the problem-solving part of our brain. When we don't feel safe in a relationship, or in, in, in general, when we're in danger, you know, if you think about if a person is being chased by, a, by an animal or something, what are they going to do? They're going to go into the, the stress response kicks in, and they're not thinking about, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? They're thinking about one thing only, and that I need to stay alive, I need to survive, I need to protect myself. And that's how we how we act as, as human beings. We have a negativity bias. We are looking for danger. We are looking to protect ourselves from danger. That's again, that's a primal need that, to survive. That's that's really like you know we talk about the the yetsahara, the you know the that raw energy, the nefesh of Bahamas. That's the ego. I mean, that's really what it's all about. That the ego. This is a great word, like from the Baal Shem Tov, he says it says when, when in Parshas Vashon when Moshe Rabbeinu was relaying the story of Kabbalah Satara, and we had it this past two weeks when he was relaying in Parshas Vashon he said that the Jewish people we didn't want to hear directly from Hashem, it was too much for us so he said you know do, do you relay the message Moshe Rabbeinu so he said I stood between you and Hashem so the Baal Tov says the I, the sense of I the ego, that's what gets in the way between a person and Hashem and that's what gets in the way of a relationship, the I, the ego. And the ego means the self-absorbed part of ourselves, which we all need. We all need to be somewhat self-absorbed. If we were just a doormat and just, oh, there's a there's a you know a wild animal chasing me right now. I'm just going, that's okay. Or um, you know, I can I don't really need to eat for the next week. No, we would not survive. So we need to have a little degree of self-absorption. But what happens growing up is that when we're in pain. Self absorption kind of takes over our world. So we'll talk about physical pain and then go to emotional pain. When a person's in acute physical pain, if they stub their toe, I remember one time I was a little boy and a bench fell. I don't know how how it worked, but I had an injury. I broke my middle finger and it really, really hurt. I was in intense pain. And people were saying, Oh, can I help you? And are you okay? I'm like, Get away. Leave me alone. Like, don't talk to me. I couldn't even, it hurts so much. And When a person's in pain we become self-absorbed when a person's in emotional pain we also become self-absorbed and we all are we all carry our own baggage we all have our no one has a perfect life no one had a perfect childhood We had a good childhood we all have our pain and you know we think of ourselves as these like you know adults and you know pretty uh functioning adults but if you imagine we're all kind of like these and imagine couple comes in they're really two wounded children and you can imagine almost like hobbling along emotionally now that what i call the walking wounded right it's like we're we're walking we're functioning but we're wounded and we become self-absorbed and reality becomes all about us so for example i begin i think that because like must think the same, same way i do i like this particular flavor of ice cream that means everyone else must like that now intellectually it's absurd to think that why would everybody like the same thing it doesn't make any sense but ask yourself we'll get to something you know politics people can't seem to think how anybody could vote for the other person you know without getting into specifics or whatever party how could you th- how could you how could you vote for this person he's this he's that and the other person's party thinks the same way about the others this is a very symbiotic way of looking at things. Talk about emotional symbiosis, that I see everything from the lens of myself. And I liken this in the beginning of a relationship, it's like when other Chava were created, the Gumar says that we're created dupartsufin, that there was there was a one fused body with two, two faces, and they were both facing the other way. And it's like, you know, if you're you're glued to the back, one person I go this way, then I schlep you with me, and vice versa. And it... And that's what I like into the beginning of a relationship. It feels so good because we feel we're one, but we are one, and I am the one. It feels so great because you're just like me. And on the one hand, you are just like me because we believe you're a couple. is two halves of one, you know, two halves of one soul. You're connected. But what happens in the power struggle is when you when you realize that your spouse is not you, you don't agree. You don't see, see, see your, your spouse is not your carbon copy. That feels very unsafe. So when we feel unsafe and in the power struggle, and we go into those defensive mode, we go right back into the turtle or the house from that we call the reptilian brain or the the reactive brain, which means we cannot respond logically to the situation. And which which also means that if you're in, you're going to marriage counseling and you're fighting like you do at home and you're yelling and screaming at each other, then you're gonna get the same results. Like Einstein's definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. It's not going to change because you're still in that lizard brain. And that's why people can say, What's so? What is this with this imago? What's the difference between? I have people who have argued about the same issue for years and they come and do an imago dialogue. And all of a sudden, I finally understand why this bothers you. I never understood until now, even though we talked about this for years, why this bothers you. I finally, oh, I have an idea what we can do. All of a sudden, why? What has changed? because when a person feels safe, when a person feels heard, all of a sudden, they don't need to be spending their energy protecting themselves. They get the access to their full brain, and we have all the answers, which means you don't need a therapist to tell you what to do. You don't need a therapist to solve your problem. You need somebody to help facilitate your safe connection, and when you can feel safe, you can access your own inner brilliance, and together as a couple, you can decide what you want to do, and this is where it's an organic process. It's not a forced process. Um, so the safety is extremely important. And that's why the mirroring, even though the mirroring enables you to cross the bridge and enter to the other, to leave the eye behind, to leave the behind, to really experience the other and not feel threatened. It's like going to a foreign country. You go to a foreign country. I mean, maybe people are here. Maybe we're like uh, maybe we're not so tolerant. but. If you're a tolerant person and you're visiting a foreign country, you can go there and you can respect the customs. And you can say, it's very interesting what they do there. It's not for me. I don't need to. I'm not going to adopt that minog back at home. But I can appreciate. And there's probably a reason. And you know what? Instead of judging them, I'm going to get curious about why they do this. I'm interested. Why do they eat with their hands in this, in this country? And I don't need to judge it. And the problem is with the relationship, we feel so threatened. We feel that Because we listen, you know, one time somebody said, if I listen to you, that means I have to agree with you. But that's not true. Listening is not about agreeing. It's about really showing up and giving presence and being there for the other person. So summing up this idea that Imago is a communication technique, the process, the structure, the rigidity slows down the brain can get you into even a meditative state where you can really connect with the other person, where you can really feel the other person and where you can be there for the other person. And that safety opens up the horizons for the relationship, opens up the possibilities. As I mentioned in the beginning, that that's the couple at our workshop that I finally felt that you understood me. I finally felt you saw my perspective without interjecting, without offering your perspective. And if we, as we said, if we listen long enough, everyone makes sense. And if you really get where the other person's coming from, if you really cross the bridge, if you really are able to be able to yourself and your DAS, your idea, then you can really experience another person and it doesn't need to feel threatening. And that's where the healing happens. So so let's, let's
1: let's go to another live question. Okay. Okay. You're on.
4: Mute. Yeah. Hi, Hi. Um, do you Hi. hear me? Yes, yes.
2: Okay.
4: Okay, um, I just, I, I'm curious, I'm an older single, and all this is very amazing, obviously, in theory, but um, as I'm dating, I'm doing a lot of my own inner work, and I'm a pretty self-aware person, um, and I'm already seeing a lot of, like, inner child work stuff come up and not being attracted to people who don't have qualities that I'm looking for you know, and a husband. And um, I think sometimes it just, it's, this has taken a long time, this whole process, but um, should I like specifically not be looking for someone who solves, who fills that like need that I'm looking for um, that I already recognize is something that my parents didn't give me. Um, And then also as part of that question, like should I be using the Imago method um, in therapy because I'm already doing a lot of this work. Like, should I, can it help me at all in finding the right person?
3: Sure. Thank you for your question. So um I wanted to just answer it. So two questions. The easy one is the second one. Is the easier one, the second one, is should you use the MAGO work to help you? And the first question was, should you fill, should you be looking for someone to fill in it? You're very self-aware. You've done a lot of work and kind of know what you didn't get so you're trying to find someone who's maybe going to meet who's not going to do what your parents did and to give you what you need, and it's that makes it. sometimes if you know too much it makes it more challenging um to answer the second question first there is an imago book called keeping the love you find and it could give you a different perspective on some of the your own your own growth work that that can help you in attracting somebody and looking for someone and i find that um, you know, I do find a lot of people and I have worked with singles before, and it's interesting because a lot of uh, a lot of times the singles, there's a whole Amago workshop that we don't call keeping love, you find as well. But the singles, it's almost when the singles do the work, start doing the work, it's almost like I feel like that they have a the Dishmaya that all of a sudden I mean I these people that send me these old they like, oh, we've been this guy's been, you know, mostly guys dating for years can't get it married and then when he starts doing the work and becoming more self-aware and specifically this process it for some reason it helps it helps people in it's out that they find the right person um, so definitely I wouldn't say to stop what you're doing if you feel it's helpful I do find that sometimes thinking about it too much um, can be hard because we we're working so hard to find the right person and to find someone who's going to be the right person that we sometimes I don't want to say miss the right person that we are not open to the right person. And I find that sometimes it's really just about being open and the imago work can help even learning how to be able to communicate and mirror, because what happens is when we, when we listen, and this is a bit relevant for everybody, even if you're married, when we mirror somebody, you know, our first instinct is to judge what they're saying or to disagree with what they're saying. And especially if we're dating, you know, look, okay, like I'm not going to be spending months dating this person. It's like, If they don't fit my requirements or what I'm looking for, like, we're done. So they start talking about, I don't know, they start talking about how they like, I don't know, Harry Potter books or something. You're thinking like, well, this is not, this person is not for me. I'm not, you know, this forget it. And you automatically kind of just shut down and judge the person without really understanding any more about them. But if you really just are present, so you like Harry Potter books, you you know, tell me more about that. I'd like to hear more about that. And they start going deeper. And then it goes back to some you know, touching childhood story where you learn about this person and you connect to this person in a deeper way. So maybe you don't like somebody who wants Harry Potter books, but you find you can make a deeper connection. So even the dating can change when you're not judging the person and when you're trying to get curious. So you just having the mirroring helps do that and just the spirit of curiosity instead of judging. Because if you do know what you want, if you've done so much work, you're going to be judging. Now you're going to be more discerning. So in some ways it's good, but in some ways it prevents you from being able to really understand a person and learn more about them. And sometimes if you listen long enough and you learn more about this person, they actually could be more appealing than you think. And one other point this is going to be relevant to to couples is that I would say, I don't know if this is the good news or the bad news. As much as you can try to find the right person, you're still going to wind up finding your model. You're still going to find somebody who's going to push your buttons. So, and this might this dovetail into some couples that might be listening did not necessarily have uh, more like the western type of i want to say that the from shidduch process is a western but uh, a little bit more traditional maybe a basho they met maybe one or two times um there's no even like room for maybe romantic the room what we might call the more romantic or a connection you just kind of your parents you know think it's a good idea they want you to to, to schmooze with them to, to see if you have, there's any chemistry and if a match you you get married so you're going to recreate the imago no matter what unfortunately or fortunately so as much as you think i'm going to find somebody who's not going to be like my parent in the romantic stage you find you you might even think that they have i thought i always say i thought my wife was a was a great listener when we went she jokes that i we went we we went to walk around the capital this was before before 9 11 so you know before January 6th too. So we walked around the Capitol uh, in the DC and for hours. My wife says I talked for seven hours the whole time. It's a little bit of an exaggeration. I let her talk too. But I thought she was a great listener. She was and she's like oh, I was so fascinated with everything you said. We get married and want to have a conversation. Uh, nobody's home. <laughs> Now, this goes back to it goes back to a childhood childhood story for both of us. But what happened? I was I wasn't consciously looking for someone who would be a good listener, but let's say unconsciously, I was looking for someone to be a good listener, but I wound up with someone who was not able to meet that need. and that became the power struggle, and that became something we had to work through together. So we can't play God. We can do a lot of growth work, but we're never going to find the right the perfect person. And even if we try to find the perfect person, they're still going to push our buttons. So, what happens? Harvard Hendrix does we either pick, project, or provoke. We either pick somebody who's going to have, who, who's going to push our buttons, meaning they're the listening example. I never felt hurt growing up or validated growing up. So, I need to find someone who's really going to hear me and get me. I'm going to fall in love with somebody who I think in the romantic stage is a good listener, but I realize that, that the hardest thing they have, they, them to do is to be a listener and that becomes the struggle and that becomes the, my unmet need that becomes the growth work that my spouse has to do as they help me heal they grow and their inability to listen which comes from their own childhood you know challenge that's yeah, well, one that's pick i would say one, two, two, two. Other, project maybe my spouse is a good good listener but because i have a childhood story that nobody hears me i just keep repeating that i project you know you really don't you really don't get me you know like what do you mean i'm listening no you just you just don't get me or i provoke i complain you don't hear me you don't understand me you don't get me until there's like you know what i'm not going to even bother trying to listen to you because no matter what i do it's never good enough so they actually become a bad listener and i've seen this time and time again i mean it's unbelievable we had couples where they had married a happy-go-lucky woman, and now she's depressed, just like his mother. And why is she depressed? Well, I won't go into the details of the things that he did, but it's enough to traumatize somebody and to get somebody really shocked and really depressed. And we almost act out to recreate it. So I've seen couples, even couples, where even though they didn't, I said, number one, they do have, you know, unless someone's, no one's really being forced to get married even in India in arranged marriage, you have a right of refusal. I know there can be a lot of pressure, but ultimately no one's fully forced. So there's always like a little bit of, a, you know, could be an attraction there to the other person or like for a moment, but even when they do this work and they start writing about their childhood, they start saying, I married my mother, even though they didn't even have the romantic stage, it's the same issues that they're having. It's unbelievable. You see that it works even that. So again, to summarize this, for people who are wondering, how does this work if you didn't have a romantic stage? People that are dating, how is this going to work? Who should I marry? You want to marry someone that you feel like you have a connection with, that you have enough in common, you have enough of, uh, you know, common values in a life, in a life, uh, mm-hmm. you know, life goals together. But ultimately, there are no guarantees. You might think you're marrying one person, and you wind up marrying somebody else. You're never going to know fully what it's going to be like. So the clue is. Don't overthink it. Try to get into your heart. Try to use Seichel, but uh, allow yourself to be present and experience the other person. And Be'azur Hashem, everybody who needs a a zivik should find them, carve. Amazing.
1: Beautiful. Okay, let's go to the next live question. You're on.
3: Can you hear me?
2: Yeah, we can hear
1: you. All right.
3: Um, I don't know if it's part of the um, modality or this is the main focus. But he kept mentioning that it has to do with um, childhood.
4: Um, is it always the situation? Like, um, I'm trying to see, like, I know, um,
3: like, I would say my friend, yeah, I'd say my husband, I know, breathes as parents, but I don't think that's the same on my end. I'm sorry, I couldn't, you, I think I couldn't really understand the question fully. Um, it sounds like you're wondering if there's always a childhood connection. Yes. And then what was the last in both. Th-
2: no, the question is if it's always a childhood connection in both.
3: In bo- both sides? Yes. Right. So it's always like, you know, my favorite couples are when they come in and everybody knows exactly what the childhood is and it makes it really easy and very tearjerker, very beautiful and emotional and healing. And it's great. Uh, but not every couple is able to do that. Um, there are various reasons. Imago would say that ultimately it does go back to the childhood. Um, I would say that it goes back to the childhood or it goes back to some type of traumatic event. So, for example, if somebody had was married before and they had and their spouse left them, or they had a traumatic relationship, then um, it makes sense why a person would be reacting the same way in in their subsequent relationship. Or if they had a traumatic event, like as I mentioned before, with the person in the car accident. So, and I've even seen it come up with siblings. It's interesting. It's like they couldn't find anything with their parents, but they felt like almost like their sibling was their to <laughs> They were looking for someone who was their sibling. The idea that I think the way to look at it in a broader perspective is everything in life is an opportunity for growth and healing. Hashem sends us relationships, sends us situations to be able to work and heal and to make a tikka. Nothing's random. So the idea is, what is it that I have to learn from this situation? What is it that I have to learn from this marriage? um so normally it's healing the childhood but sometimes there's something else that comes up but i wouldn't you know drop it too quickly i don't push it with people i don't believe in you have to go with the resistance and believe in like pushing someone and and shaming them sometimes what happens in a relationship especially if one person is more self-aware and this happens a lot of people do self-growth Um, you know, they think, well, like I'm all aware of my childhood and, and and then, and you're not, and then this is why we're not progressing because you don't want to, you don't want to understand your childhood. And that becomes a problem also. Um, so yes, in theory, would it be easier? Would it expedite the process? Would it be more healing? Yes. But you can't go on, your spouse can't go on your timetable. So you have to be really what this process teaches us to be present, to be patient, And that even if you can't go back to the childhood, to be able to create a safe environment for each other, to be able to connect. So sometimes if you continue doing this work, it's about getting still. Um, I think a lot of us, especially, you know, we spend a lot of time in our head and a lot of time analyzing things and trying to figure it out, you know, we're we're good at that, Um, but this becomes a challenge in therapy and i find some, sometimes with with jewish couples it's more of a challenge because you know we, we are we, we might we tend to be analytical you know we're taught in school to learn you know learning gemara we're learning how to all the different fine fine points and splitting hairs and all that uh, and it serves as a purpose but in a relationship you know you want to think of you don't want to think about I have to solve your 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 spouses are Schwere Rambam. You want to understand what's going on. Why is a why are they acting the way they do? What can I do to get curious about? There must be an answer. I know there's an answer. If there's a theory, if there's a contradiction, you know we're learning, there's a steer, you know a contradiction in in something. We know that there's an answer. Maybe we just don't get it because we're you know we're not smart enough. But if we believe there's an answer and if we we can really connect, we can find that answer. So the same thing in a relationship. To be able to believe that there's something deeper there beneath the surface, but it's not for you to pull it out of your spouse. It's not for you to judge them that they can't figure it out. It's about creating safety, about creating, being patient and being there. And sometimes it happens that if you could just sit there and be patient. Sometimes we we need to do like a guided imagery to help a couple go back because there's so much in their head and there's so much trying to figure it out. They're they're afraid to go back to their childhood. Their, their childhood was too painful to even address it. So. Yes, it's it's really important. But you know, I think Harvey Hendrix is even moving more away from emphasizing the childhood, even though it really, you know, I said blows up every blows up the power struggle very easily. But ultimately it's about creating safe connection. And if we can do that and we can remove the negativity and toxicity and then bring more positivity into the relationship and have a safe connected relationship, that's ultimately what what we want.
0: Here's a interesting question that came in. So it says, I got divorced a few months ago after many years of therapy. I've tried and tried, but to no avail. Are you telling me that it's partially my fault? This, this person is starting to feel guilty.
3: Okay. So, um, I'm not here to judge anybody. Uh, there's something called Gitim, there's a homosechta and shas. Um, we're not, we don't. Divorce is something that is is always a, technically an option, uh, but it's not an ideal. Uh, it's not lechachila. <laughs> the mizbech is boicha. If when someone gets divorced, the gemara says the, the mizbech, uh, the altar cries that you know it's not ideal, uh, and everyone has to make the decision that they feel is best for them. Uh, and and I would never say it's someone's fault. Um, it's, a, it's very complicated because there are a lot of factors involved. A lot of people's divorces, I find, are unnecessary. But it's not because they didn't try. And doesn't not because they didn't go to therapy. But sometimes the therapy just wasn't helpful. Or sometimes the therapy made it worse. A lot of people say, I had a couple that I was working with a few weeks ago. And they said, I hated my husband more after going to therapy than before.
0: You're scaring you're scaring people. What? You're scaring people from therapy.
3: But I'm not sure I'm scaring people from therapy. That's not my idea. Ideal. Yeah. You know, I, I once wrote a book, uh, sorry, an article called How My Marriage, How My Therapist Restored My Marriage. And a lot of people were upset about it. A lot of clinicians were upset about it. Um, and but a lot of people called me and said, This is what happened to my marriage. And because and, and I want to be nuanced here. There are many, many good therapists. And there are many good couples therapists. And they don't have to be a Mago therapist. It doesn't matter. Whatever therapy works, helps a couple. That's, you know, there are many different ways to connect. There's many different ways to heal. Um, I personally feel that a Mago is wonderful and really does things that other other modalities don't do. But somebody could be trained in a Mago and doesn't mean that they're a good therapist. Um, I wouldn't necessarily... Oh, because someone got even certified, I wouldn't necessarily send my my child there without knowing the person and feeling familiar with them and feeling that they have, you know, get the process and the values. So, but something that people should know as consumers that unfortunately we don't always know what we're getting ourselves into. We think, okay, it's a therapist; they they know they went to school, they know what they're doing, etc. I saw a statistic once. I actually give a I give a, a continuing ed class. For therapists, one in Amago, and then I do one for uh, competency and uh, ethical issues in couples therapy. So one of the things to talk about is competency. One of the ethical requirements, you know, for I don't know what coaches have to do, but for licensed therapists, they have to be competent. You can't just say like, I'm not going to work with, uh, you know, substance abuse because I took one course in my master's program on substance abuse. I don't, I'm not completely ignorant about substance abuse. I have couples where one person's in recovery. But they're getting help with, for their for their for their addiction. But I'm not going to claim to work with to do substance abuse. I'm not going to work with children because I'm no I don't have a specialty in that. Um, now, a lot of times, though, AI, the study said the it said 80% of people who work with couples have only one course of marriage and family therapy. That's what you get in school. So what you get if you want to get a license. A master's level license at least my knowledge when i was in school you had to have one one course in marriage and family therapy i don't remember much about that course It was the genogram and all that stuff someone did a report on imago but didn't qualify me to be a couple therapist. it wasn't until i did advanced training and even when i did advanced training i continued get, getting certified continue doing training continue getting supervision you have to have shimush you have to have somebody that you can uh, consult with if you have different difficult cases um, you know it's like if somebody wants to go get brain surgery, so you're not going to go to your general practitioner because you know, maybe they took a class in anatomy and physiology, so they know about how the brain works. Um, but you're not going to trust your general practitioner with something so so serious. So I'm just suggesting that people do the research. I'm not saying that therapy is bad, but if somebody is not trained in what they're doing, um especially with couples therapy, because couples therapy is extremely delicate because you say one wrong thing you make it look like you're taking sides and all of a sudden you've lost it meaning you've lost the the bond with that other with that other with that other person especially at least from the mago perspective I'm the therapist for the patient the patient is the fa- the couple they're the identified patient the couple it's not one person is the problem both people are contributing to the situation and both people can make it better so it's important. It's You have to be extremely careful. It's a very delicate thing, and you have to be extremely patient. So all because you went to therapy it doesn't make it better. And all because, and if the therapy session is not safe, and if you're just arguing with each other and yelling at each other, it's also not going to be safe. I have people come, they say, you know, our sessions with you are the, are, the, um, are like, there are our date night. It's their most, you know, relaxing time of the week, which is counterintuitive. Why would you, couples therapy, you think as people are yelling and screaming at each other? I mean, I hope not, but that's the misconception people have. So, the idea is you want to be discerning. You want to do your research uh, as a as a consumer. You want to make sure that you're finding somebody that that you you learn about their approach. You learn about their training. You feel you feel a connection with them, and you know you see how to the shemaya. The person's a good a good to help you.
1: Okay, Rabbi so got a few more questions. Let's cover before the end because there's a lot more we didn't cover. Okay People text to this, but basically, um what do you do if your spouse just doesn't want to go to marriage counseling or therapy? is it, is it would it be helpful for them to uh, to do a MAGO, any type of therapy?
3: So if your spouse is not willing to go to therapy, um, it becomes you know it becomes a little bit tricky because on the one hand, if they go to individual therapy and the therapist might say, if the therapist is re- is able to help them, work on their own issues and their reaction to what's going on in the relationship, it can be helpful. And in Mago, we talk about growth work, that you can do growth work on your own. Individual work is growth work. The work between the couple is healing work. Because as we said, you're marrying someone who's going to be able to heal your childhood, be able to recreate the childhood and experience it differently. A relationship with a therapist is, as much as it can be healing, it's artificial because there's a transaction there. It's transactional, you pay them. Time is up with your spouse. You're living with them. Uh, on the other hand, if you so you don't want to go to somebody who's going to kind of um, fuel the fire and make you think about how bad your spouse is and encourage you to get divorced, which sometimes people do that. If someone's going to help you take ownership for your role and help you be a better person, a better partner, then it can be helpful. But ultimately, the best is if you can get get your spouse to be in the relationship, in the therapy with you because we find that it expedites the process. That when you're... What you can think and hear on the phone, a lot of times when so people will call me before we work together and I hear one, one person sharing, and I have an whole idea of what, what the situation is gonna be like. And then when I actually have... And then I hear the other situation. And then when I actually have them come into to work together, we're able to deal with the issue a lot simpler than they thought. But it can seem much more complicated than it is. So ideally come together. If you're not coming together, do your best to work on yourself, to understand your triggers, to see how you can be a safe partner. How can I not trigger? Because it's a ripple effect. As we said, this dynamic of the turtle and the hailstorm. When I go into my shell, then my wife feels, where are you? You're absent. I need to get make some noise and you know, put some hail on your shell to wake you up, to get you come out. What does that make me do? It makes me go into my shell further. And it's a vicious cycle. But if one person can change, if the hailstorm can work on being a safer partner and stop hailing, if the turtle can stop withdrawing and checking checking out, then all of a sudden the stimulus for the other person to react is missing. And that can change the dynamic in the relationship. So yes, it's better to do it together. It's much more powerful, it's much, it expedites the process. But if you work on yourself and learn about what you're doing to the in the relationship and what you contribute to the space, then it definitely can make an impact.
1: Let's do one more question. We have so many more to ask you, but it's getting late. I've been in therapy and worked out my younger life issues and traumas, but I'm still struggling in my current marriage. Can it still be connected to my past issues or could it be just possible separate adult issues, marital issues?
3: So the question is, are past issues connected? Like they feel to them, like they
1: worked but, out yeah. the past issues. They worked it out. The childhood, and yeah. now they're saying they have a marriage problem. Should they still think it's coming from there? Or it could be, no, you yeah. have marital problems, nothing to do with your childhood.
3: Well, I find that a lot of I've had people say. I remember one one guy. He said, you know, he did, he was a very serious person. He did a lot of growth, growth work, and he said, you know, I tackled all my childhood demons, and but I can't believe it that I'm dealing with the same childhood issues. I thought I dealt with this already thirty years ago, and now I'm married and I'm having the same problems. What I find, is, as I mentioned before, you can do the growth work, you can become conscious, but I would call it like the final frontier. The healing can ultimately happen when you are encountering that situation again and have to overcome it and have to deal with it differently. So we find that you are gonna that even if you've done the work before on yourself, the marriage is gonna bring up the childhood issues until you can repair it. It's like peeling the layers of an onion. So you've done peeled a lot of layers, but there's still you haven't gotten to the the core. And I said sometimes you can have issues that compound on it from previous relationships or traumas in your life. That are not necessarily childhood.
0: So, here's here's another question. I had a very hard and unstable upbringing from my divorced parents. My wife comes from a pretty nice stable home. I just got married and I'm feeling nervous if I could be um, a good husband. According to st- statistics, people who come from a broken home have a much higher divorce rate.
3: So, how's it going to work?
0: <laughs> he's nervous.
3: Yeah, he's nervous. Or yeah. what could you do? This is something that a lot of people deal with because unfortunately there's a lot more divorce. But on the one hand, a child of divorce has it hard because they had they, they had just the, by virtue of being, you know, there's always a question. Is it worse to be in a home where your parent where there's no Sean bias and there's fighting? Or is it better that at least the parents are you're living in, you know, the parents get divorced? Well, it doesn't really help. You know, my my wife and anything I share this is public uh, we talk about this openly and uh share more of our three other workshops but um you know my wife's parents got divorced when she was eleven. It was very difficult as a child and sometimes she was like, you know she used to say I used to, she used to pray that she, they would get divorced um but it wasn't better afterwards because when it's especially when it's not amicable, one person doesn't want it, then you wind up using this happened a lot I see this a lot that it becomes contention if you don't work out the issues. Even couples that we, I deal with couples that are trying to kind of even want to get divorced in a way that's a amicable way where they could, or at least try to discern and figure out what's going on. It's important because it does impact the child. So the question is, is someone who comes from a divorced home, are they worse off? They, someone who has baggage and their parents were fighting all the time also, that's not necessarily a good situation to be in. And that also impacts the child. But I found that also, on the other hand, people who come from divorce homes, they often are more motivated to work on the relationship. The challenge is they don't have the—they don't necessarily have some of the tools. And another challenge is that they see that—that that there's always an option to leave. For me, my parents have been married for—gosh, older than I—older than I am. So, <laughs> it's almost late 40s. Sorry. Uh, late 40s maybe almost 50 years and for me like it didn't even cross my mind there's like there's no there's no exit there's no option so you have that i'm a a stubborn person also and a committed person but when a when a person my daughter just reminded me in the chat 49 years so (laughs) now it's almost 50 so when you when yeah, it's it's a different. It's not a Charlotte for me. I'm not going to not even. It's not an option. But someone who comes from a divorced home, even if they're working really really hard, they still see like, okay, it might be an option. And I do see that with couples that people who come from divorce home sometimes feel like they have more options, whereas people who don't, it's not an option. But with that said, Imago believes that people attract people who are just as wounded as they are. So we talk about, and this is going to get too technical, but just briefly, we're all wounded somewhere on the developmental scale. So there's different stages of development. We have attachment wound. Attachment when there's this zero to 18 months when the baby is forming the attachment with their parents, where they have a secure attachment or a non-secure insecure attachment. And those couples are very volatile. A lot of times they don't even come to therapy. You can't get them to therapy. They can't do it. They, they're just so volatile and they're so wounded. Like a child that was abandoned growing up or um, someone becomes, so one becomes like the clinger, one becomes the avoider. And you have this dynamic as you go up the, the developmental food chain. So we find that people are wounded on the same level, or sometimes people do the growth work. So for example, you could come from a stable home. You have your own issues. They might not be as traumatic. Uh, you know, when I compare my wife's childhood and my childhood, it's day and night. But she worked on herself and worked through the issues on her on her own as she grew up, which helped her get to a higher. You know, higher level on the food chain maybe i did my own work too and we met each other and that's where we needed to be so to think and this is a very this becomes problematic for a person to think on the one hand yes we don't want to be naive and say that a child that came home from a divorce home doesn't impact that it's good it's just like any other any other relationship is perfectly fine but that that it's going to be easy for them and doesn't matter but on the other hand to make that person the bad guy or the problem in the relationship is is definitely it's very tempting to do but it's definitely not the imago approach because we say that you're you're as i said you're you're marrying someone equally as wounded so there's no this dichotomy where you think like i'm better than you and i'm more more advanced than you and and that's very judgmental and it's doesn't not helpful for the process so i would say yes i understand why you're nervous and just do your best to to learn about relationship do your best to stay connected do your best to Be aware of what your childhood was like and how it's impacting you and impacting how you interact in relationship. And, you know, if you work together, then you can create a healthy and stable and loving home.
1: Okay, beautiful. Okay, let's go to closing now. Um, Somebody texted me. It seems like everybody has childhood issues no matter what we do, (laughs) but uh...
3: the child, again, it doesn't have to be that people think It doesn't have to be you were traumatized. Something little for a child, it's the child's perspective. As you become a parent, you start realizing, why don't, that's such a big issue for me. I understand why my parents were like that to me. I have my own kids that are doing the same thing. And just seeing like a child, I'll give you like an example. Like we're, just a quick example. We were going down uh, tubing down the river and I was with my kids. And my wife was waiting for us at the other end and my youngest was with me. And all of a sudden, he's a pretty fearless guy and he was starting to cry and he wanted to get out. I'm like, we can't get out like we're going down the river we all your siblings are going we we can't go anywhere we have to keep going mommy's waiting for us and you know i felt really bad at the moment because on the one hand I, you know i could have been more validating to him but on the other hand we had an agenda we needed to to be there but we couldn't stop so even though i wasn't trying to wound him he still might i mean i'm not saying i traumatized him but he could still feel you didn't really validate my feelings. You really weren't there for me. You kind of dismissed my needs. In the end, he had a blast and he was fine. But in that moment, his experience and my intention are not necessarily the same. And that happens with uh, you know countless examples where parents mean well, and the child they're just not attuned to their child. They just didn't meet the child's needs. It doesn't mean they were horrible. It doesn't mean they're abusive. So we all have things, and some of these things are more uh, more subtle. Um, but we all have. Unmet childhood needs, things we could have used more of. And that's going to, we're going to see them play out in our relationships. And that's what the model therapy posits.
1: Okay, Shkrek. Okay, for coming on tonight. Give me tremendous and trying. I think I understand it. you understand it now? I hope you understand it. Yes. Keep
3: going if you want.
1: I think I understand it. And it's tremendous chizik. And uh, hopefully we covered a lot. There was still a lot more questions I couldn't get to people wanted to ask. Sorry about that. Um, but uh, sure. we we'll come back at the end down the road. Yeah. Light share, share 133. Again, if anyone wants to join the WhatsApp chats, please WhatsApp me at 848 525 0066. It's 848 525 0066. Or you can go to MenachemBarrefeld.com, sign up for the weekly emails, get the replays, and see the flyers who's coming on. Again, for everybody who's here the first time every Sunday night at 9 30 on this site, Zoom ID, we have different robot different topics. Next week, February 26th, we have an amazing share with Yeshua Katz, he lives in Erichstrelle now. He's living in Lakewood, and he has a practice in Lakewood and in University He's very successful from what I heard. And uh, he's going to be helping what we're talking about: emotionally connected parenting, practical parenting tips to help nurture connected, confident, and a happy child. So Hopefully, that uh, somebody was texting me, "What can we do to help our kids to, you know, they should be healthy when they get married, you know, with the connection part." So tune in next week. <laughs> we're going backwards.
3: And it's so important. Um, I'll tell you, it's so important because when I'm with these couples, some of them are thinking, like, if we, only we could parent our kids better, we wouldn't, they wouldn't be in my office here <laughs> struggling.
1: Yeah, so. I think we all try. We all try. Okay, so please join us next week. Machem should be a meaningful program. Everything is recorded, Matcham will be on Monachamberville.com. If anybody has any questions, get email at Again, tonight's share is 133. If you want to listen to it on the phone, we can listen to it tomorrow. My on 848-777 GROW. It's 848-777-GROW. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with Rabbi uh, Shlomo Slatkin, you could email him, right? It's rabbi at the marriage restoration project.com. What the website is the marriage restoration project.com. We'll put in the email. I'll put in the chat in a minute. Um, right, and they can get a hold of you. If that's the correct way. Rabbi yeah,
3: you can get a hold of me. The Marriage Restoration Project. If you want to come to one of our workshops, if you're interested in getting training to be a certified Imago therapist, I can lead you on you know to
1: where, where you need to go for that. If somebody wants to come to one of your retreats?
3: Yeah, so you want to come to our retreats? We have uh, we have one coming up March 19th and 20th, Sunday, Monday, in Baltimore. It's a great time. I know it's right before Pesach, is, but you know it's a way to clean out the chametz in your relationship. To go into the seder with Das with connection, uh, and much more it will be a much more enjoyable experience after.
1: Okay, so reach out to, to Reverend Slacken if you know it can be helpful anyway. And thank you to all our advertising sponsors, Liquid Scoop, Elinero from Five Town Central, Chayla Kaufman from JCN, Jewish Content Network. we tonight, was a very deep, very deep, and very powerful share. really, really enjoyed it. I finally understood it. I think it's I tremendous. sure we should all get there. Amazing. Okay, Coach Menachem, closing. ever Slacken, leave us with, with the good closing. Something, think, think now. I'm giving you two minutes.
0: Okay. Coach Menachem. First, yes, Reverend Slacken, first of all, thank you very much. For your time and like we heard, like Rabasha said, it's deep and we heard that you need patience for this and uh, it takes time. And uh, maybe you tell us soon how many how many sessions you know is you, do you give for a Mago to, for it to work? Does it work in one or six? But um, those parents who the truth is, where life is growth. Every day we're learning and we're growing. And growth, you sometimes meet yourself in places where it's uncomfortable. You're learning new things about yourself, about your spouse. And those who are worried, what can I do for my kids? Because I don't want them to go through what I'm going through. That's, that feeds to anxiety also. you know, We're trying our best. And no matter what we're going to do, they're going to be on their journey. And we are on, our, on ours. So really what we have to do is take care of ourselves to learn how to slow down, realize what our triggers are, to see why we get into these power struggles. And that itself will help your kids. I mean, First of all, now, growing up. And then when they grow up, they will go through the same thing, not in a painful way. It's part of the growth, whether they do it on their own, or they go to a third party to help them out. And you learn about yourself, about your spouse, so that you can grow. This is where we are. So thank you very much. And Baruch Hashem, we were able to cover pretty much, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to take what we learned and apply it where we need it, even though sometimes it's vulnerable, it
1: can be hard to take that
0: plunge.
3: Okay, hey, Rabbi Shlomo Slatkin, LCPC, please leave us. Okay. With with the so, wrap yeah, up in the flowers. I think, I think it's about protests, protest in that this week is a few days should Khadish Adar. Okay, understand on Purim, the nest happened on, on the 14th of Adar, but why Rush Khadish? So the Mori Naim explains that Adar means Aleph Dar. Hashem, it dwells, that Hashem brings the Shechina, just as Alpha is the first letter of all the of the, all the other letters of the Alpha Beis, Hashem is the first, comes before everything, He's the, he's the one. The idea is that Hashem other as a time of separate, celebrating the Simcha, that Hashem is dwelling in, dwelling in us, among us, which is also the theme of the Parsha, Parsha Shuma, the Mishkan, Vasuli Mikdash V'Shachani B'Seicham, the idea is making space for Hashem. And when we make space, that a marriage is a base, miniature base of mikdash. It's about making space. We always wonder, like, what does it say? <speaking> what does it mean, I, I'm I married? If we married it, the shkina would dwell among us. It's just like, lucky, I'm lucky that I have the shkina in my relationship. Zakhim <speaking> means refine, zikuch. That when a, when a husband and wife work on refining themselves, work on refining their midos, work on making space for each other, Creating a safe space in the relationship. Not only does it make space for each other, but it makes the space for Hashem to dwell. Just like in the base of Mikdash, the kruvim, the, the Shkina dwell right between the, the kruvim, right there in the space where they connect. That's the idea. So thinking about this time, thinking about how can we make space for someone else in our life? How can we make space in the relationship? How can we make a safe relationship, safe space? And that's how we bring Hashem into our lives. And there's no greater Simcha. Than that. That is a simcha that we experience by the wedding, and that's the simcha that we can experience when we have a loving and safe relationship. So I want to thank thank you very much for this opportunity to, to join your show tonight and to learn with everyone. And please be in touch if you have any questions. I'm happy to, to answer.
2: Good night,
1: everybody. Have a good night. We'll see you next week, February 26th, wherever you show a cats from Stroll. Looking forward. Good night, everybody. Right.